Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to be back here with you. This is Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy, and today we are getting into book and movie three, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Going to the darkest prison in the wizarding world, man. Dude, what I always thought about, and I don't know if there's any actual correlation, I didn't do the research on it, but... You know that like little prison island off the coast of California called Alcatraz? Like I always wondered if that was like a direct correlation to Azkaban or not. So something I should that's probably a, look into. <laughs> that's a really good point. I never even thought of that. <laughs> that's that's really awesome. Uh, escape from Azkaban. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what we're going to talk about today anyways. But that's a really good point. You know, it's, it's funny. I've been... Because, you know, me and you kind of pulled a, a late-nighter last night, <laughs> I would say. So, a funny story for you guys that are listening or watching on the on the Tube channel. Uh, <laughs> Josh calls me this morning, thank the Lord, like my, um, you know, biological alarm clock, because we're connected at the mind somehow, calls me making sure I'm awake, where I fell asleep on my couch last night doing research for this bad boy. And I'm like, dude, I didn't go to bed till 5. Josh goes, yeah, man, I went to bed at like 5.30. It was like, I guess like 5.03 was the last time that I saw on my clock before I, I passed out. So we were right there. I was, uh, it's pretty funny. Like it, it's crazy, you know, the amount of detail and work that goes into a podcast like this. It's, it's great to share it too. And you know, what's really cool about this book and I was mentioning it to you, is this where it starts to take the leap, as you say, almost like, you know, to correlate it to sports, usually like third year wide receivers take that leap to NFL level where they run NFL routes and like they're, they're a, they're a solid, you know, now, now they're not just good, they're quality all around. And this is kind of where this, uh, this book really takes the next, the next step, uh, as far as where the franchise goes from here, because, you know, we had little tiny, uh, you know, I would say surprises that come up. This is the first big plot twist you know, that really appears. And what's really great and how you know this is a great series and book specifically is because if it, if it even went the other way and it didn't turn out to be the big plot twist that it does at the end, it still would have been a great book regardless. And that's how you know that's some real talent in the writing. Oh, yeah. And that's one thing, you know, it's been so cool being able to go back to these books, which, you know, we were showing each other, you know, kind of the remnants on our books from when we first got them like mine was the writing in the third grade and you showed me yours it was like wasn't it like the the not stains but you said it had like mold or something yeah it had like those little mildew stains you know like if you put paper out for too long in like a not a a great climate controlled area like it gets like little tiny yellowish stains at the top yeah that's what uh we've had them for so long man it it, it only makes sense (laughs) so awesome but it's been so cool being able to go back uh, to this thing and and really dive into it. Because, you know, when you're a kid, I think when you're a kid, we kind of just picked up on maybe the major points, right? I don't think we really read it into the detail that we're reading into it now. Um, and it's been amazing just even going back and, and realizing these were written for kids, but it is probably... It's, it's one of the very few fiction fantasy series I know where J.K. Rowling, if you're talking about the books themselves, they've gotten better each time. 
and it is it's phenomenal like Azkaban I was talking to you about this it's one I I could remember but I only remembered really bits and pieces because I remember Goblet of Fire like like it was yesterday because that's the one that in Order of Phoenix because I told you I'm a big Order of Phoenix guy even though it can get boring in some parts <laughs> like the, a Goblet of Fire is the one that really I guess stuck out in every kid's mind like yeah, I remember when it came to the American shelves, and, you know, it had Harry on the front cover. It looked almost like a video game cover with that book. Uh, but being able to go back into Azkaban, it's really made me appreciate it so much more in the detail that's gone into it. And, and even the ways that, you know, we were talking about this a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, we could tell that, you know... Joanna Rowling didn't really want to take it with the vampire thing, right? But still being able to give it like her own kind of twist on things, um, which we'll dive into in, in this kind of section of the arc. Um, it, it's been very unique the way she's taken a spin on it with this direction of books versus just saying, hey, you know, Voldemort's the bad guy again. So let's go this direction here. Like, no, she really gave it a unique spin where Azkaban keeps your attention the whole time you're on the edge of your seat, I would even say. Um, and, you know, it's really not even focused around uh, you-know-who on this one. I couldn't put it better myself, honestly. Uh, you know, he gets mentioned, you know, in passing. But really, it's it's focused on, I don't want to get into it quite yet. Honestly, you know, it's actually, that's <laughs> a great segue to kind of point out what we've got here on, on the table. So, uh, you know, we really like to too, always like to set the scene visually for our people just listening through audio. I've added a couple new wrinkles to the visuals that you'll see in here. If you're checking us out on YouTube, you'll see it. I've I've added our prisoner from Azkaban and the guards that guard <laughs> him in Azkaban to the uh, set here. And obviously you see uh, the book and the movie for Prisoner of Azkaban. And Chase, you got a couple new ones over there as well. And you got a new poster up there in the back, I see, right? Yeah, man, you know, I'm a big uh, poster guy. <laughs> I think it's the visuals that get me when I find them. Like, my dad even used to say when I was a gay, he's like, why do you keep spending money on, on pictures and stuff? I was like, I don't know, man. I like the way they look. Maybe it's like these new people buying the PS5. Like, they just spend $500 because they like the way it looks on screen. Uh, but, yeah, up above me, we got um, actually one of the original movie posters, which is really cool. So, you got... Harry, Ron, and Hermione uh, with the Prisoner of Azkaban poster there. Like how you got the prisoner himself. Um, I have a guy on my end that plays a big role uh, in this book, Professor Lupin. Uh, the new guy we'll talk about that plays a huge role here. Um, I do have the Golden Trio. You know, you still got um, Ron, Harry, Hermione, pretty much the same as last time. Um, with Snape, and then you got McGonagall and Malfoy. But on the right over here, uh, one thing that we will bring up as far as the movie goes, remember, uh, this is when they changed actors with um, Dumbledore. So I wasn't as much as a fan of this guy. I could stand it, though, you know? Like, he kind of gave that little bit more of a stern, like, I got a deep, dark angst that I never really got out as a child kind of thing. So I can get used to it. But on the on the right side over here, this Funko Pop uh, is actually, you know, before I had where Albus was in kind of like 
the nightgown suit or it was like red when he was doing the house cup and then here it's um the purple kind of nightgown suit he's wearing right as they arrive at hogwarts for azkaban so um good stuff there i do want to give uh everyone a shout out you know we've been on podbean uh 12 this is our 12th week in a row which is pretty cool um and then december 3rd we got a pretty cool event we got nominated um uh, it's uh the convention is called indie pods united but we did get nominated and we got nominated for uh, fiction awards which is really cool um really does mean a lot especially because people forget i mean we we've jumped a lot so fast <laughs> that you know we've been recognized with these big podcasts but people forget we're still in our first year of this thing so just a big shout out to all our fans out there that have really followed us um, from the beginning. And even if you're just picking up watching us now, uh, it really does mean the world to us that, you know, y'all took two guys, one from Georgia, one from New York, and, you know, that came down here to Florida, started this for fun. And uh, just the way it skyrocketed up, um, you know, we were just ranked 168 in the UK, and we didn't even really... I brought it up to Josh uh, a couple of days ago because we didn't, weren't even really paying attention to it because we're more focused on the content, definitely wanting to be there for you guys. Um, but just the fact that uh, y'all have been loyal for so long and still pushing us out there really does mean the uh, wizarding world to us, I would say. And a great point, too, because without you guys as listeners, we don't get invited to these conventions we don't get nominated for awards like you know that's the whole thing the, the recognition that we're receiving is solely because uh we've captivated your attention and you've stuck with it and you know the loyal loyal fan base is everything anyone would want for any sort of piece of content that's being created out there so you have my eternal thanks you know you've made this year super fun guys as listeners you made it something that i didn't know where it was going to be when i said yes to starting this and I'm, I couldn't be happier that uh, we took the plunge and went through this journey this year. So I'm really excited uh, to where we're going to continue to grow from here because like Chase just mentioned to you, we're in our first year, you know, so there's still a lot left to do. Uh, you know, fantasy f fiction is something that has so much content that we could literally run this podcast as long as we want to, as long as we've got the fan base, as long as we've got the numbers to support what we do here. And it makes sense. We can give you guys content until, you know, you know, one of us, we decide to, to hang it up. You know, there's no set time because this, there's just so much <laughs> and, uh, content. We've talked about this before. Excuse me. There. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of work. Uh, I mean, there's been times like we've talked about before, like being real on the show. You know, me and you, we've been up all night at some points. There's been times we've been at each other's throats. It takes a lot of work, but it's it's fun work that we like to do uh and you guys have made it so enjoyable where we want to keep doing this um because we know podcasts that have been around for five years and they have like five listeners or so and um you know I, I, you know i wish them the best but i mean it really does go to show it's just like a television show you know it's really the fans that decide whether or not you survive and, um and it's awesome and uh you know this is what you know me and jane ellie of course we have our own jobs on the side but 
you know, um, eventually, you know, maybe we'll do this as our career one day, but <laughs> definitely gonna keep bringing you all the works and, uh, don't worry because season one, we still got a long way to go, man. We keep driving this Hogwarts express off the rails. So we got a long way to go from here. You want to go ahead and dive into it? Yeah. Just, I want to touch on just one more thing. Cause I thought what you said earlier was a great point to bring up. You know, we don't really focus on the numbers and the adulations that we receive. We focus on the content and the fact that, you know, we don't even have to pay attention or push our stuff on you that much. And we still get ranked number 168 in the UK for, you know, what was it? The, the Chamber of Secrets, which isn't really even one of the bigger Harry Potter yeah. uh, stories or arc parts of the arc. You know, it just it really is amazing that so. Uh, we can count on on you guys for everything uh, when it comes to viewership, listeners, and loyalty. So I say we we jump on in, give the people what they are here to to listen to us for, and have some fun with it. Because uh, this book, it's one of the ones that really sets the tone for the remainder of the series. Yeah, man. Uh, just like I was saying, I think it was that movie, the internship, where that guy was having the Harry Potter party, and he's like, "Next stop is." as <laughs> let's do it man but hey i gotta you know i wouldn't want to live in as i wouldn't want to be sent to azkaban dude <laughs> that's me either. for sure i don't know about you man but i would choose any prison here in the united states over this bad boy I, i'm all the way with you so let's give him a quick cheers my man and malice uh, in the chalice we'll bro. get it rolling perfect Good stuff. So to give the same outline that I do every time we start uh, the new book and new movie, we're going to be tackling favorite and impact moments, foreshadowed events, potential plot holes and discrepancies, uh, as well as interesting facts. And then we'll hit our top five magical creatures in Azkaban. That'll be, uh, you know, because we're only going to do part one mm -hmm. and part two today. So for this episode, we're going to be tackling uh, chapter one through chapter nine. And then next week, we'll be tackling chapter 10 through chapter 15. Then the following week after that, we'll be tackling chapter uh, 16 through the end of the book. And when we do that third part of the episode, that's when we'll really get into our top five favorite magical creatures for Azkaban. Then, of course, for our fourth and final episode for book three and movie three, uh, we are going to be tackling just specifically the differences between the book and the movie. So... Let's lock and load today. We're going to start off with our uh, favorite and impact <laughs> moments uh, for right now. I'll do that from the start of the book to the arrival at Hogwarts. Then I'll turn it over to Chase. You'll do yours and then we'll take it uh, from there, man. So Good stuff. Yeah, that's, that's, that's rock and roll. The, the first one that I have is one of my favorite moments. It's kind of silly, but it's funny because I've actually, even without writing this down or thinking about it like if you talk to me about harry potter i couldn't even tell you what book this part was in but this part always stuck out to me as a kid uh when harry is reading his homework and he starts reading about wendell and the weird and how she yeah, like allowed herself awesome. to be caught and burned 47 times by the with the flame freezing charm that always stuck out to me that this girl decided that she wanted to be like burned because it gave you a tickling sensation and she kept getting caught 47 times over so it's something that always stuck in my head. I just never could. I would never been able to tell you what book that was in, but I would have been able to tell you that part. So I'm glad that I was able to finally put a, a location to that memory. <laughs> uh, I think it was also, you know, page three. 
when Harry had to pick the lock to his cupboard to be able to bring his books upstairs and do homework. You know how, much, how frustrating that must be, like to live in a household where you can't even do your homework. <laughs> like they don't let you. To, they don't allow you to be any part of yourself. They just want you to be like this blob, basically. Um, <laughs> then in page four, I thought it was super funny with like Ron's telephone mishap and how he's shouting through the telephone at Uncle Vernon, and Uncle Vernon's like like holding the receiver out of here and shouting back into him, telling him never to call this number again, and. That was a funny part for me. And another part, too, on page six, a couple of pages after that, I really do stop and think, and we really have to like appreciate that Harry really has been lucky to have made it to 13 years old. Think about how Voldemort showed up at his house as a baby, tried to kill him at one years old. Then, you know, at 11 years old, he has a whole issue with the Sorcerer's Stone underneath, like, you know, the like through the trials before you can get to, like, Professor Quirrell with the Mirror of Erised and all that. Voldemort's on the back of his head, tries to kill him there. Then we like, you know, fast forward, or I guess in this case, rewind. Last year, we have the Chamber of Secrets and how Riddle almost came out of the diary and he was taking physical form, almost killed Harry again with the Basilisk. Like, Harry's really fortunate to have made it to 13 years old as it is. Like, do you, do you like, did you pick up on that too? Like, it's <laughs> kind of crazy, right? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, I got to say this, too, because one thing that really stands out to me, which we'll cover differences later, but between the book and the film, in the book, he's 13, but in the film, he plays 13, but he always seems like he's like 17 or 18 years old in the movie. So just throwing that out there. But yeah, man, uh, let's bring this up for a second. Like, Harry has the worst luck ever. Could you imagine going to school every single year and someone's trying to kill you? Every year. Like, I remember when I was a kid, right? You know, going into school and I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, you know, the toughest part of this year is I got to take, you know, I got to take Algebra 1 this year and I'm in the eighth grade. That that sucks. Man, I really got to study for Algebra 1. This kid's like, man, I can't wait to go to school, but... You know, uh, first year, I'm getting abused by my bad parents, so I can't wait to go to school. Second year, man, I have a fear I'm going to get killed by the Dark Lord, which then I face this big basilisk thing. And then this year, I'm on this train, and we're going to find out what happens. This kid, 13 years old, like has faced some of the most dark creature things in the world that will kill you like every year cannot catch a break every year it's it's always something that's crazy <laughs> but it makes it exciting um to carry on from there to page seven uh i just have a question to like the general audience like not even to be answered but like why do they keep using errol the owl when he's like clearly not like meant for journeys like he's almost died on every single one of his like attempts to deliver mail to somebody like Dude, I love Errol, though, man. He's hilarious. Boy. He, um, I think it's because, I guess, like, wasn't he the, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't he the Weasley's owl, and he had just been there for, like, a super long time? Yeah, it was the Weasley's owl, and it's likely maybe because they're poor, they can't afford a new one or whatever, but, man, they're going to kill this owl. <laughs> like, they're literally going to, he's going to yeah, drop dead, yeah. like, during I mean, a that's trip. what I thought it was. I thought they were just poor, so they just kept working him to death. That's the animal cruelty, <laughs> <I> mean, man. <laughs> It's like when, uh, <laughs> that's like that old man that's like 80 years old, and then the family's like, go out there and cut the grass, it'll be good for you, keep you in shape. Yeah, ridiculous. 
page 10, I thought it was funny because, you know, I'm a big Fred and George guy. Like, we learned in the, the letter that uh, Ron sent to Harry that Fred and George put beetles in Bill's soup, and that's he thinks that's why the sneakoscope went off. I've got a foreshadowed event there, but we're, right now I'm just, just covering the favorite and, and impact moments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know. Then page 11, Hermione got Harry a broomstick servicing kit, which is really out of character for Hermione. Normally you'd think she'd get him something educational, like a book or, you know, <laughs> like something that he can like learn from. But she actually got him something that he likes and is useful for him in that broom servicing kit. Um, then like in, in page 18 here, going a couple pages ahead, we learn about all of the, the so we hear about Aunt Marge for the first time, right? Well, actually, she's, she's brought up in passing in the previous books, but this is the time like where we actually get to know her. Uh, we talk about all the amazing gifts that she's given Harry. Uh, it's it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> so let me see if I can find uh, the, the, the gifts that she gave him, right? So Aunt Marge whacked Harry around the shins with her walking stick to stop him from beating Dudley at musical statues. Uh, a few years later, she turned up at Christmas with a computerized robot for Dudley and a box of dog biscuits for Harry. <laughs> Harry got some dog biscuits. It's so messed up. <laughs> and then, and then uh, she accidentally stepped on her favorite dog's tail, and that dog chased Harry out in the garden and up a tree, and Marge didn't, re- didn't call him off until after midnight. So, like, the, like <laughs> this lady obviously hates Harry something <laughs> awful, probably even worse than Uncle Vernon and Appetuian do. I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, going forward to page 25 uh, this is where she crosses the line she gets Harry really pissed off he like she says this line you know if there's something wrong with the bitch there'll be something wrong with the pup and the glass shatters in her hand that she was holding that she was drinking from she pushed it over the line she was talking reckless about Harry's parents and he finally had enough and lost it because remember this whole time he's been trying to keep himself in check so that way Uncle Vernon will sign his permission slip so he can go visit Hogsmeade but you know he's been doing a great job up until this point you know she keeps she keeps poking the bear so to speak because she just doesn't have any respect for him and she thinks he's basically vermin or like you know dirt on the ground that she can just walk over it's and she's gonna learn really quickly that's uh it's not the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, you know, page 29, that's when we get to the very first big piece of magic that Harry does uncontrollably. I mean, he made the, the glass disappear in book one. They talk about some of the things that happened when he was scared and how he like got himself onto the roof. But like, this is him actually attacking another person with magic for the first time. So yeah. like Aunt Marge, he blows her up, like literally like not like in a car accident type blow up, but like inflates her to the point where she is floating in the air and Uncle Vernon's trying to pull her back down from the ceiling. Like she like again, she went after his family, talked to like they were talking crap about Harry's dad, like saying, Oh, he didn't work, he was unemployed when in reality like he has a fortune in Green Gods that he left to Harry. But like <laughs> so like he actually blows him up and I don't blame him. Like like she kept trying him, trying his life and he finally said, Yo, enough's enough. Uh, I even said that uh, Harry grew some balls and pulled his wand on Uncle Vernon in page 30. He says she deserved what she got. Like, he tried to stop her. He pulled that wand. He's like, yo, she deserved what she got. Get out of my way. I'm leaving. But I, I almost put this as a plot hole, this next part. But when I think about it, because it is explained shortly after, I just kept it for impact moments. But think about this. He used magic to break Aunt Marge's glass. Magic to blow up Aunt Marge. 
magic to unlock the cupboard and get the rest of his school stuff, and magic to call for the night bus. That's four instances of underage magic that they just no, they didn't give a single bit of notice about. Like, no owl flew down with a letter saying, you know, hey, you're using underage magic. Like, you're in violation. Like, nothing. Like, yes, it gets explained here shortly. But that's four instances all in a row there where he used underage magic. Uh, in, and this is the actual, this is where he should have gotten in trouble for. Like, I remember last year it was Dobby. It wasn't his mm-hmm. fault. This year, like, he, yeah. like, is using it at people. Like, this is where, this is the definition of misuse of magic. <laughs> like, yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, but then speaking about the night bus, you know, page 33, we are introduced finally to that night bus. And I will give the movie credit here. It did a really good job of depicting the night bus, in my opinion. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Like, a triple-decker bus, like, full of beds and, you know, watching <laughs> it squeeze in and out of stuff. I thought that was really cool. Uh you know, Harry pretending to be Neville Longbottom. That was interesting how that was just his name that he came up oh, with. That's cool. Like, mm-hmm. not to bring up much differences, but like he didn't even give a name in the in the movie, where in the book, like he made it a point to say that he was Neville, uh, because he was nervous because the Stan Shunpike was looking at a scar. Um Page thirty six, I thought it was really cool here when we're looking at like what the night bus can do. It basically just drives and everything moves out of its way. It doesn't do any maneuvers. Like it was saying like fire hydrants and mailboxes jumped out of the night buses away. So basically you can be as reckless as a driver you want and objects will just get out of your way. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, then we we get that like Stan Shunpike is reading the Daily Prophet, right? And we obviously we hear about black on the muggle news, but I put that as foreshadowed events. But what I wanted to put here for a funny part is when he's reading about Sirius Black, and I'll save it again for the next section. The one part I did want to put, just because I found it funny, is they characterized, they said, while muggles have been told that Black is carrying a gun, a kind of metal wand that muggles use to kill each other, <laughs> the magic media lives in fear of a massacre like 12 years ago. I just thought it was funny that they characterize a gun <laughs> as a metal wand that we use to kill each other. So That was awesome. That was funny yeah. to me. Uh, page 39, when Stan Shunpike is... is talking about you know the situation the story of what Sirius Black did and how he killed all of those people like 13 people including a wizard and he said he stood there and laughed now at this point in time keep in mind we're going by what we know in the book so what we know right now this is factual is that he stood there and laughed so we start thinking like dang this guy's a madman like he just killed 13 people stood there and laughed about it like he's as bad as they come right and then we get to page 42 where Harry gets off the night bus and Cornelius Fudge, the minister of magic himself was waiting for Harry as he got off the night bus. So you imagine like, you know, in in Harry's mind, he probably thought he was in so much trouble that like the minister of magic had to come collect him. But in reality, there's another reason why Fudge was there making sure Harry was, uh, was taken care of. Right. So we go to page 45, uh, Harry doesn't get in trouble for his underage magic use. I put there's more of that I have in the foreshadowed event, but just to touch on that real quickly, all the four things I mentioned, Fudge basically waves it off. But keep in mind, if we talk about not next book, but the book after the Order of the Phoenix, there's a huge issue because of you know a certain inquiry that comes up in book five. So I won't go any more further than that, but the fact is he just waves this this violation off. It really comes big to play later on. Um, page 49, 
Uh, I actually, like, what I said here is I was actually happy for Harry because he got two weeks to be a free and normal wizard. Like, he stayed at the Leaky Cauldron. He got to do his homework, like, like outside a Sunday shop. He didn't have to be shoved away, like, worried about, like, being who he truly is. I just, I felt happy for him that he got to live two weeks as in, as normal as you're going to be able to live as a wizard. So that was cool. Right. Um, page 51, you know, you and I are both big Quidditch people, so we get introduced to the Firebolt for the first time. <laughs> And I want to, like, read the actual description of the Firebolt because I think it's badass. So, Mm -hmm. the Firebolt. This state-of-the-art racing broom sports a streamlined, super-fine handle of ash, treated with a diamond-hard polish, and hand-numbered with its own registration number. Each individually selected birch twig in the broom tail has been honed to aerodynamic perfection, giving the Firebolt unsurpassable balance and pinpoint precision. The Firebolt has an acceleration of 150 miles an hour in 10 seconds and incorporates an unbreakable braking charm, price on request. So this is also could be a foreshadow too, but this is a badass broomstick, man. And, you know, Harry, he already has a good broomstick in the Nimbus 2000. Remember when he got that in book one, everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's like one of the best brooms. And now, you know, almost like cars, you see every new every new year, there's a new model that comes out that's better than before. And you know, so this Firebolt, like, I even remember them saying that this is the international level broomstick that even the Irish, the Quidditch team was going to put an order for. So, like, this is a really important broomstick, like, one of the best ever, yeah. and it comes up big later on, too. Um, going into page 60, uh, we meet Crookshanks uh, for the first time, uh, and Hermione buys him. And this, this could also be a foreshadow, too, because Crookshanks plays a huge role. Uh, later on yeah. in the book but you know he was like characterized as either a very small tiger or an enormously large cat so i thought that was pretty funny <laughs> uh page 62 you know i gotta get my boys fred and george some airtime here they uh they make fun of percy because like percy greets harry like he's the mayor and then so fred and george just start <laughs> picking on him and he's like harry Elbowing Percy out of the way. Simply splendid to see you, old boy. <laughs> and George pushes Fred aside and says, Marvelous. Absolutely spiffing. Like, just giving like, Percy a bunch of crap. And then, like, his mom tries to, like, stop them from picking on him. And then they turn on the mom and say, Mom, how really corking to see you. <laughs> just just go, like, going off in a bond. Like, just doing some typical Fred and George mischief that I love, you know. Um... And I even to continue on to Fred and George there later on in the same page, you know, uh, like Mrs. Weasley tells Fred and George, like, I noticed you guys haven't been made prefix. And they're like, what do we want to be prefix for? It would take all the fun out of life. So I wrote that quote down because it made me laugh. Um, And then page 63, George admits that he and Fred tried to shut Percy in a pyramid in Egypt. So that was pretty cool. (laughs) Page 67. Uh, this is when like they're all back at the Leaky Cauldron after the night of dinner that they had. And uh, Fred and George stole Percy's badge and made it say Big Head Boy. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> and when we go to page... So also, and this this is going to be more of a foreshadow, but I did want to talk about just mainly mentioning it real quick. Harry overhears a certain conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. I'll save it for a little bit later. But uh, that's important to at least document and notate because it really, this is the first time you hear, like, you know, I'll, I'll leave it that for now. But yeah, anyways, right. <laughs> uh, we go to page 75 and we're at the Hogwarts Express at this point in time. 
And, you know, Harry even says, like, you know, Hermione talks to, says to Harry, Sirius Black escaped to come after you? Oh, Harry, you'll have to be really, really careful. Don't go looking for trouble, Harry. And Harry replies, I don't go looking for trouble. Trouble usually finds me. So it's interesting because, it's so exactly, because what we were just talking about, all the years of Hogwarts, something something happens, man, where he just ends up in a big <laughs> world of crap. So um, we go on here to page, between pages 76 and 77, we learn a little bit about Hogsmeade. Uh, so like there's a there's a Dervish and Bangs, which is a magical instrument store, like then they just tell stuff like that. Uh, you know, Hermione says it's the only entirely non-Muggle settlement in Britain. And uh, there's a sweet shop we hear about, some of the stuff that they sell there. Uh, we hear about the Shrieking Shack. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So we hear a little bit about Hogsmeade, and we also know that Harry is unable to go at this point in time. Harry didn't get the permission to sign it from Uncle Vernon. Cornelius Fudge wouldn't sign it for him when he asked him. So as of right now, Harry has no ability to go to Hogsmeade with Ron and Hermione, which... Uh, it's sad, but like, you know, we'll, we'll get to how that turns out <laughs> in, in just, uh, not too, not too long, but, uh, not too long. Yeah. yeah. Then page 80, I have like Malfoy stops his mouthy crap when they tell, like, when like he looks at and sees like in the compartment that the adult sitting there is actually a teacher. So Malfoy starts his usual bull stuff, trying to get Harry and Ron riled <laughs> up. Then he realizes a teacher's there, and then he's like, "Oh, what were you saying, Elfoy? There's a teacher right here." And then they he like calls his cronies off, and then between pages eighty-one to eighty-five, the Hogwarts Express stops mid-route. Lupin wakes up, casts a spell where he's holding a handful of flames, and this is a really, you were talking about a really cool part here, where like ice starts forming over the the train and it gets really dark, all the lights go off, like they're scrambling around, like Neville comes in their compartment, Ginny comes into their compartment and it's just a scramble and then like Harry sees this like like decayed hand, like like a like a dead claw come through and like open the compartment door. And uh that's when like Harry passes out. And this is not only a big moment for like an impact moment here, this sets the tone for really what he's got to try to overcome all book uh these like the yeah. effect the dementors have on him because we learn about the dementors just briefly where they're talked about here and professor lupin basically does his job as a teacher and gets the dementors out of there with a certain uh a certain spell that i won't bring up at this point in time but <laughs> that is my favorite and impact moments that i have from the start of book to where they arrive at hogwarts i'm going to turn it over to you brother free to tackle that then we'll i'll pick it back up when we go through arrival of hogwarts through chapter nine yeah man that was good stuff you have a lot of the ones that i actually was uh thinking of too so it's just so many really cool moments even all the way at the beginning of this thing um funny you were actually talking about wendell in the weird because <laughs> i wrote that down too for my first standout moment um I'll share it later. Uh, I got some things on it in my interesting facts, but if you have it in your interesting facts, it's all you, man. No, I don't. So uh, that, you'll, you'll take that one. Okay. Uh, I thought it was really cool, though. Uh, the book you were talking about is actually in A History of Magic. Um, so not really important, but I did uh, write that down. And yet, uh, I thought it was really cool that, you know, she kept burning herself over and over, uh, thinking it was funny and it was just like a tickle to her because she kept using a freezing charm uh to withstand uh these things so it was really cool and i'll talk about that a little bit in my interesting facts just because you know you and i 
it's not important to the story, but we usually like the cool stuff that kind of stands out out of nowhere. So I thought that was cool. Um, I did think this was cool, and this will relate to my interesting facts as well later on, but Harry's writing an essay for Professor Snape, because you know I'm a Snape guy, <laughs> on shrinking potions. So I thought that was, that was really cool there. Um, uh, Ron, here's another one that I really liked was because uh, if you remember me talking about a couple episodes ago, remember at the end of Chamber of Secrets, when Harry tells Ron, you know, call on the phone to my house over the summer. Uh, because, you know, I can't, I can't use like magic with the Dursleys there. Ironic how the film opens. <laughs> but um well they won't they know, won't let him use hedwig to bring back and forth letters like he had a promise that yeah, he couldn't hedwig. yeah so yeah so hedwig because you know hedwig was locked up in the cage um so yeah 100 percent right on that but ron calls on the phone which was really cool that was like a full circle moment there that i thought was really cool and remember um it was uncle vernon that uh got like super pissed at him and ron like couldn't like hear on the other end i guess and he was like hello hello can you hear me i want to talk to harry harry potter and then uh that's what uncle vernon was like yelling through the mouthpiece and he's like who is this who are you uh there's no harry potter here and it's described it as he said uncle vernon was yelling as if he was on the opposite end of a football field <laughs> um so i thought that was really cool just because you know, we saw something that got actually, you know, you see so many books that they leave tiny details out. They just never follow through on. And I thought it was really cool that J.K. Rowling put that in there, even though it was just a small part. Just showing that, you know, Ron really heard what Harry had to say at the end of Chamber of Secrets. So I thought it was really cool. Um, and then the next one that I have uh, in here for you was... Um, yeah, it, actually, this was kind of a big one. It's funny, we were talking about Hedwig. Like, Uncle Vernon was actually letting him... I thought it was really cool, Uncle Vernon, because usually he would never do something like this. He started letting Harry actually take Hedwig out of the cage uh, just because he was making so much noise during the day. Um, so, I, I mean, it's pretty sad that we have to be like oh, that's a great thing you did, <laughs> but I thought that was... But remember, cool there was a stipulation that. to that. He could do it as long as he promised not to like use it to send letters back and forth between him and his friends. He said, yeah, okay, you can let the owl out, but it's just, you know, so it, get, it stops making noise and disrupting my sleep. Like, you're not going to be communicating with your friends with it, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so I guess that was more of a convenience for Uncle Ex Bernie, Exactly. <laughs> I would say on that one. Yeah. Um, one thing I did think was really cool, uh, which I was really happy, uh, for the Weasleys over was remember when, so E-Roll sends that big, like birthday package kind of for Harry, right? And one big thing in it was Arthur Weasley, um, won the Ministry of Magic Employee Scoops Grand Prize. So they, uh, the Weasleys finally got some money, man. That was good stuff. Um, I mean, they spent most of it in Egypt, but I was really happy they got to, you know, spend it on their kids for a change. And it, I did like here, it said it was the galleon draw 
Uh, so it was like kind of a, you know, people went into this drawing. Um, but, you know, it was saying how Ron was having a great time and he was seeing some of the wizard, um, I guess they were like almost like um, architects that built the pyramids and you saw the mummies and stuff over there. Uh, and I got some of that for my interesting facts, which was really cool. And um, like you said, I thought it was really cool. Hermione uh, gave Harry the broom kit, like to take care of his broom. That was very out of the ordinary and kind of more of a foreshadowing that will, I'll talk about my foreshadowing, but remember Hagrid um, gets him the gift of uh, Book of Monsters, which I, in the, this is later on where we kind of see that in the film, but in the film, that's a pretty awesome looking book like snapping and stuff so thought that was really cool um you know in the letter it said percy was head boy now so now he's got kind of a head on his shoulders so that was uh interesting um ron this was really cool gave harry the pocket sneakoscope which was uh plays kind of a, a really big role uh later on which is really cool and remember it like lights up and spins uh, so I thought that was... Um, Whenever really there is cool. someone untrustworthy around or something bad, like something like that happening. I have that for my mm -hmm. foreshadowed events, so I'm glad that you picked that up too. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, if someone's untrustworthy around. So I'll leave that to your foreshadowing, but I, I thought that was really cool. Um, and this kind of goes into the phone call. It's not much, but I just like this line in the letter Ron wrote. He said, Dear Harry... Oh, no, this was Hermione. She said, Dear Harry, Ron wrote me wrote to me and told me about the phone call to your Uncle Vernon. I do hope you're all right. <laughs> so that was really funny what Hermione was in, because that part just really stuck out to me that, you know, Ron, uh, going back to Arthur, you know, he works in, like, the whole idea of, you know, muggle artifacts. <laughs> he doesn't know how to, like, communicate with humans. Um, but then Hermione, you know, she's spending the holiday in France, so... That was good for her. <laughs> you know, she's always traveling with her muggle parents. Um, and then just kind of moving on from here. And real quick, I just want to I touch on that real quick. I just Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, isn't it interesting how so people are just different? Like, you know, Hermione's muggle parents couldn't be more proud that Hermione's a witch. And they treat her like a normal human. Where Harry's yeah. muggle guardians can't stand him and think magic's abnormal and should not be tolerated. So I just... I just want to point that out. That's interesting how like different muggles view magic. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it is really cool because it's kind of like, you know, honestly, like it's kind of like today, like social issues, um, which is funny. People have actually talked to us about before being able to kind of relate the fantasy world to like modern day of, um, you know, some people, you know, bad parents that really can't get along with other cultures and that sort of thing. But the way it should be is just like Hermione's parents, you know, um, if your kid's really talented at something or like, say, for instance, uh, like, say your dad was like a famous football player, but you really, really loved the band or you really love video games or something. Right. And you really couldn't play football, but your dad like kept trying to force you into football well, that's like the wrong way it should be when really he should be supporting your video game band <laughs> quality, you know, and, um, and same thing, you know, as long as, as far as like getting along with other cultures and stuff, that's really the way it should be. So 
Props to Hermione's parents, too, because you really don't get to hear about him much in any of the books, really. I think one of their biggest scenes was, we talked about uh, a few episodes ago, was that library, not the library, but in Borgen and Blotz. How do you say it? Flourish and Blotz. Yeah, Borgen and Blotz. No, you're you're mixing it up. Borgen and Burks is the shop in Nocturne Alley. Flourish and Blotz is the the bookstore where, like, Gilroy Lockhart was, and they had that big scuffle there. So gotcha. flor- okay, flourish so and blots, yeah, flourish and blots. We wouldn't blots. want them in the other place. Yeah, no, Borgen <laughs> and Burks, they would not, well they would there. not be accepted in Borgen and Burks. <laughs> oh yeah, Hermione's parents would be giving away all their cash <laughs> so fast. <laughs> They'd be mugged quickly or maybe killed. So. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Uh, the next thing I had was just like you were saying, you know, um, McGonagall sends that message to Harry that third years get to go to Hogsmeade, which is really cool. Um, but you know, he needs to get that permission slip signed from Uncle Vernon, which we find out does seem to be a little bit of a challenge there. Um, and then this is when, you know, Aunt Marge, Large Marge, as I call her, if you ever seen the movie, uh, Horrible Bosses, he's like, fire Large Marge on your way out. <laughs> it's awful. But yeah, Large Marge, uh, just which, you know. I only call her that because she is an evil witch, as I would say, not a magical witch, but a witch. Also, replace the W with a B. Um, Treats Harry like complete trash, and I do mean completely. You can take a shot if you would like, if you're over 21. Uh, Absolute trash. And I do want to read this line because it shows how like insane she really is on this. Um... So, on this uh, line here, well, first of all, before I get to the line, what I did like this that Uncle Vernon said, like, they had told Marge this story to try to keep him from, you know, telling them he's going to Hogwarts about his abnormalcy that he's going to St. Brutus, Brutus's secure center for the incurably criminal boys. Like, that's so messed up. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like someone, like your own guardians are telling this person in the family, like you're such a bad person. They had to send you to the British school of criminal incurable boys. That's messed up. Like that's, that's so screwed up. And then, you know, in order to try to get the permission slip signed, you know, Harry's having to try to play by the rules that that's exactly where you've gone to school. Um, but here's uh, the part I wanted to read. And this is just shows how messed up Marge is. She goes, do they use the cane at St. Brutish boy? <laughs> she barked across the table. Or Uncle Vernon nodded <laughs> like about the cane. Yes, said Harry. Then feeling he ought as well do the thing properly, <laughs> he added. All the time. Excellent, said Marge. I have uh, I have this hamby-pamby, wishy-washy nonsense about not hitting people who deserve it. A good thrashing is what's needed in a 99, in 99 cases out of 100. Have you been beaten often? Like, who asked that? That's screwed up. And he goes, oh, yeah. You know, Harry's just trying to play the role, like, buying the story, right? Uh, hun- uh, 
Yeah, uh, hundreds of times. Aunt Marge narrowed her eyes, like being suspicious. I still don't like your tone, boy, she said. If you can speak of your beatings in that casual way, they clearly aren't hitting you hard enough. <laughs> like, that's messed up. Like, who says that? Um, so that just really stuck out in my mind to show... Like, this lady is really a non-magical witch. Replace the W with the E, <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, and, uh, you know, so then from this point, you know, this is when it stuck out. You know, Harry, uh, I would say, does a big no-no here with, like, his magic and shit. <laughs> Excuse my language. You know, and she starts kind of turning into a balloon there, which I gotta say... I thought the movie did a pretty cool job on that. Like, she actually did kind of look like a balloon. Um, however, like, that's what I wrote was, like, big no-no there. Like, that's that's a big problem. Like, just like you said, like, he used magic four times. And then even at that point, like, was threatening um, Uncle Vernon. Like, he was like, I'll, basically, like, I'll do it. and Because, you know, when he barks back at, at Harry he's like come back here um come back right here and then that's when Harry like kicks the trunk and then comes back and he goes she deserved it Harry said breathing fast she deserved what she got you keep away from me and then he fumbled behind with like the last door he's like I'm going I've had enough and in the next moment he was out in the dark quiet on the street heaving his heavy trunk behind him Hedwig's cage under his arm like that shows how bad it was that at a boy of 13, like, you're just walking out of your house. Like, I, I've had enough. I don't even care if I get expelled from school, which is what my plan is the whole time, to go there. Like, just didn't care. Like, a huge no-no there, I would say. Um, the next one, when the night bus comes along, I thought this was really interesting. So, you would think, because it's a night, and it's like an emergency bus for, like, the stranded wizards. It would be spelled N-I-G-H-T. It's spelled night bus, like a medieval knight. So that's K-N-I-G-H-T. So I thought that was really cool. I honestly don't know why. I tried to look it up. Um, there's no answers for it. So if anyone has that answer, um, reach out, because I thought that, that was really awesome. I will say, in the film, like you said, the night bus was really cool. I was afraid they weren't going to put the beds in there because, you know, I described it as having, like, beds and no seats because it's, like, a night there. Um, and they actually did that in the film, which was really cool. One thing that did stick out in the film, I thought it was cool how it kind of, like, squeezed itself in between spaces and it was moving really fast. That purple bus. Um, see, I wish at Universal they would unlock the night bus where you could actually, you know, stay there like a hotel and <laughs> sleep in it at night. That would be really cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's when, you know, they said it was the emergency transport for every, like, witch and wizard. So I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, Harry, uh, this is kind of a foreshadowing moment later, but, you know, a big part, he sees that black dog <laughs> that we'll talk about later for foreshadowing moments. It's kind of a big one there. Um, the night bus, I thought this was cool. Like, I think the guy's name was Stan. That I was trying to sell him kind of reminded me of like a salesman. He was like, it costed 11 sickles for the night bus, but he was like, you know, an extra 15 will get you like a cup of uh, hot chocolate with it. 
So I thought it was pretty cool. I think Stan and gets a overlooked a lot. I was really looking for those salesman skills, like Uncle Vernon in the in the movie, but they really weren't there. But I thought that was cool. Um, uh, you know, another thing, you know, I thought was really cool was it's kind of more of irony, which is why I bring this up. But um, you know, Harry was kind of looking at that newspaper and noticed the guy we'll talk about in the prison. And it described as he saw him and he looked like a vampire to him. So talking about what we'll go into much later in this book, but it kind of is like, you know, that Halloween theming, which you'll pick up on later with full moons and that sort of thing. So I thought that was really interesting, really stuck out to me. Um, and then, you know, when Harry gets to like Diagon Alley, um, it makes sense later. I felt like they should have gone into it a little bit more because, you know, for the use of magic, <laughs> Harry does. Cornelius Fudge, the biggest guy in the entire ministry, like, just goes, circumstances change, Harry. <laughs> you have to take into account the present climate. Surely you don't want to be expelled. <laughs> so I was like, all right. Um, which we find out a little bit later on, but just like you were saying, you know, he received a letter right away in Chamber of Secrets for something he didn't even do. So that just definitely... And on top of that, just to jump on that real quick, not only did he not do it, it was just, especially in the book, I know in the movie it showed the pudding falling on the girl's head, but in the book, like the pudding just fell on the floor. He didn't use it, like (laughs) that magic spell that was used by Dobby didn't affect any muggles. Harry attacked his aunt with magic. <laughs> like, he literally attacked yeah. her with... Like, that's the as far as, like, you can go in the bad direction when it comes to use of uh, underage magic is to attack a non-magic folk. So, continue on. I just want to make sure we really emphasize that point. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, was, that was a really good point. Because, um, like, this is, like, the worst it can get. Like, you're literally using it on a muggle. Like outside of like killing them, be, yeah, it's the worst. Did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I thought this was cool since you said that. Just, you know, Cornelius Fudge talks about they have the accidental magic reversal department. So these guys, I thought of like the men in black, but they come out with wands and then they just erase their minds. Look into the wand. <laughs> the mind is like erased. So I like kept here, sitting here wondering like, is the accidental magic reversal department, is this something that always goes around doing this? Like, why haven't we heard about this until now? Like, that's got to be, like, a huge department. Um, but, yeah, that's what they said, was they casted, like, they talked to the Dursleys, and the condition was that Harry had to stay at Hogwarts through the holidays. Not that big of a deal, because Harry didn't want to go back anyways. But, like, Large Marge, like, they casted, like, a memory charm on her or something. And it, like, wiped her memory. Um, yeah, it says, uh, dispatch to Miss Dursley. Uh, so, Miss Dursley. So, I guess that was Petunia. And wiped her men- memory. And the only condition the Dursleys had to take Harry back in the summer was he had to stay at Hogwarts through the holidays, Christmas and Easter. So, yeah, I was just like, that's a pretty cool apartment, but we're just now hearing about it. So, why hasn't this been brought up before? Just a thought there. Um, 
like you said, the next thing I had was um, the Firebolts. Uh, that was a big one. I let you go into that. That was an awesome thing. You know, we're both big Quidditch guys, so I thought it was pretty pretty awesome. Um, I did write this down, too. Uh, this will go into my interesting facts later, but, like, Harry bought himself a handsome game of Gobstones, which I'll tell you what that is later. Uh, very similar to Marbles, actually. Pretty cool. Um, then, uh, next here, um, you know, the books I just wrote down that he needed was, uh, so Harry had two new subjects, which were magical care of magical creatures and divination, of course. He had to get them, uh, you know, the monster book of monsters was on that list. Of course, one was a gift, but then Unfogging the Future by Cassandra Balbus, Balbus, B, Balbusby, I guess that's how you say their last name. Uh, v a b l a t s k y, Balbusby, uh, required for divination, um, which was used for like fortune. We'll talk about later. Fortune telling, crystal balls, palmistry, burden trails, um, and then uh, here's another one: is Harry uh, sees the book on death omens. Um, which is, is very interesting. That's kind of like a moment we'll talk about much later on, but like foreshadowing events. Um, and then the next thing I had was, uh, you know, when Hermione wants to get a pet. So she goes into the magical, how do you pronounce it? Minagerie? Minagerie? Menagerie. Menagerie. I was like menage a trois. <laughs> yeah, no, good stuff. I like it. Magical menagerie. You know, I'm terrible at names. Um, and this is a foreshadowing moment later on I'll bring up, but there is some very big moments on scabbers here <laughs> that they bring up there. But, of course, Crookshanks comes in and he gets a big part. Um, interesting in, like, the film, um which you see Crookshanks much later on in the film, but he looks more like Garfield than how he's described in the books. Just kind of a little difference there. We'll talk about uh, a few episodes from now. Um, I thought this was interesting too, because it was kind of full circle and ironic, because if you remember with the polyjuice potion, Hermione, I feel like no matter what she does, she can't stay away from cats. Like she turned into a cat. Now she's getting a cat. Like, Hermione was meant for this cat. Like, my girl was meant to get a cat, and I'm more of a dog lover myself, so <laughs> ironic and full circle to me. Um, and I thought the name Crookshanks was really cool. Um, you know, Harry saw Jenny kind of embarrassed. That's a moment we'll talk about later. Uh, foreshadowing, not too big. Um, and then, you know, a moment I'll let you talk about later that really stood out is, you know, Harry overhears you know, Arthur and Molly Weasley having that big conversation that I'll let you get into later that definitely needs to be brought up because it plays a big, big role um, in here. But, um, you know, uh, of course, you know, they say like Fudge, they, Harry assumes he was leaning in on him for that conversation, which we'll talk about later. Um, one of my favorite chapters right here uh, which is really cool. This is when, you know, they're getting on the Hogwarts Express. And like you said, you know, the lights are shaking. The wind and the rain are just gushing down. It's ice cold. 
and the train like stops out of nowhere and the lights are going off and the film was really awesome because you just saw like the ice i felt like it was like Iceman from x-men like it just shoots over all these windows and just comes through and you just see like the fog almost like you know someone's fogging up the back seats of a car <laughs> that's what it made me kind of think of um but uh you know and arthur weasley made harry make a promise about something i'll let you talk about later that was kind of big um one of my favorite people is on this train and in the book it was really cool because he was just kind of like sleeping there um and you'll find out what role he plays later but biggest thing is like his like tattered clothes which is kind of a big moment later on but dresses almost like a poorer version of the weasleys <laughs> but it's like the best he can do which we'll find out for later on um and you find out uh or you can assume because they start mentioning there's only one vacant teaching role at the moment that they know of um and that cursed position winds up uh becoming this guy that we're assuming is uh professor lupin so if you're looking on the youtube you know there's a funko pop of lupin there and i gotta say you know from what we find out later on he's really one of the most likable guys like i really feel bad for him because he does everything he can and He's just got a bad luck of the draw, man. Bad luck of the cards. <laughs> That's what I would say on that one. Um, I did write down, you know, it was pretty wild. Like the scope starts like spinning in this moment, which is very interesting on the train for like who's around. And, you know, Ron has his pets, <laughs> which we'll talk about later. But, um, uh, you know, and they talk about, of course, the uh shrieking shack at hogsmeade and all that stuff which that's like i thought that was cool because i actually looked these up and there wasn't much history on it but it is like you said in the book it's like one of the most haunted places and i did write down that hogsmeade which is cool it'd be cool if you saw like a like a, a little plaque or something on one of the walls of a hogsmeade and universal uh hermione said that in 1612 it was used for the goblin rebellion um i did look that up all they really know was it was some massive rebellion by murderous goblins that killed a bunch of people but i thought it would be awesome if you saw like just a like say they just made it up or just decided where they wanted it to happen over there and they just put like a little flag on the wall like this is where the 1612 goblin rebellion occurred right where you're standing that would be awesome like it doesn't take two dollars to do that <laughs> okay maybe literally two dollars but not much um speeding it up here for you uh so as the train stop this is um the part i want to read just because it is really cool and I'll, I'll blow through it really quick but it is awesome uh lupin like wakes up out of nowhere because he's sleeping like the whole time you go stay where you are he said in the same house voice and he got slowly to his feet with his handful of fire held out in front of him so that's not in the movie but that is really cool almost like a lantern in his hand it was flames uh, it was like he was holding flames like like he scooped out of a fire pit 
So like he like he literally just like had a handful of flames in his hand, almost like a fireball. Like you think about the Human Torch, how he can go like that, and he's got like, fired. Yeah, it was like that. So that's why it was super cool. Like that part was awesome. I'm I'm really disappointed they didn't put that in the film. <laughs> Wasn't that? Yeah, I thought that was so awesome though. Like I mean, it, Lupin never ceases to surprise me. Like you got to think like this guy. He's resourceful. Based on some of the stuff he does. Yeah, he's resourceful very... for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. And it said his face was completely hidden beneath its hood. Harry's eyes turned downward, and what he saw made his stomach contract. There was a hand protruding from the cloak, just like you said. It was glistening, grayish, slimy-looking, scabbed like something dead was decayed inside the water. But it was visible only for a split second. As though the creature beneath the cloak sensed Harry's gaze, the hand was suddenly drawn back into the folds of the black cloak and the thing beneath the hood whatever it was drew a slow long rattling breath as they're trying to suck something more than air from its surroundings and in an intense cold swept all of them harry felt his own breath in his chest the cold deeper than his skin it was inside his chest his own very heart Harry's eyes rolled into his head where he couldn't see. He was drowning in the cold. There was a rushing in his ears through water. He was being dragged downward. Roaring was growing louder from far away, screaming, terrible, terrified, pleading screams. He wanted help from whoever it was. He tried to move his arms, but he couldn't. A thick white fog was swirling around him. Like, that's the part I wanted to read, and it's just like... If you imagine that moment, like you were saying, I would be terrified. I feel so bad for this kid. 13 years old, you're boarding a Hogwarts train, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is the moment. Like, I've been through some crap to get here with my guardians that were watching over me. Like, this is my moment to have some candy, chill with my friends right before school starts, not worried about it. And I got this demon thing after me? Are you kidding me right now? Like, that... That's some crappy luck, man. So, just wanted to read that moment. Um, and that's when, of course, Lupin, like, told him that was a Dementor and handed him the chocolate. So, I thought they did that cool in the film. Like, every time you turn around, like, he's eating some chocolate. Um, and uh, then, um, you know, this is about the time they start starting arriving at Hogwarts here. I just want to make sure I didn't want to miss anything there. But yeah, that was um, really the big moments there because this is when they go ahead and start arriving at Hogwarts. Um, but I did want to say this. this I put Lupin knows his shit when he hands here the chocolate because it was, remember Madame Pomfrey said this quote, which I thought was really cool. When Right when they arrive, and I'll let you take it from here. She said, she asked Harry if he's had like any chocolate or anything and he goes I've already had some said Harry Professor Lupin gave me some he gave it to all of us did he now said Madame Pomfrey approvingly so we finally got a defense against the dark arts teacher who knows his remedies so it goes to show like this guy isn't like the previous one he actually knows what's going on so and I'll leave it at that that was my uh, cool cool moments you want to back to you my man you got it, brother. Yeah, I'm actually going to start my my favorite moments from actually that point that you're talking about, Madame Pomfrey, because she says something that I just find like really funny. 
uh, kind of clever. Mm-hmm. And then so what we'll do now is we'll take it from their arrival at Hogwarts to the uh, like through chapter nine, and then I'll pass it to you to do your from Hogwarts to chapter nine. Then we'll move on to our foreshadowed events, which will be great. So um, to talk about right here at page eighty nine. Uh, Madame Pomfrey gets like summoned by Professor McGonagall into the room, and Madame Pomfrey looks in and she's he, she sees Harry and she goes, "Oh, it's you, is it?" Like, because she because keep in mind he's always in there for something. Like in Sorcerer's Stone, it was because uh, like he, he like had that issue with Voldemort at the end, and then in Chamber of Secrets, he broke his arm and had to regrow his arm bones that uh, Gilder Lockhart removed, and then obviously you know what happened at the end of Chamber of Secrets too. So like he's always in the hospital wing for something. So. When she sees him and goes, "Oh, it's you, huh?" Like, like she's not surprised at all. Like, it's always him, right? So, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, going on to page ninety-three, I'm very, very happy for Hagrid because he was announced as a new care of magical creatures teacher. Anyone that knows Hagrid knows how much that means to him. Um, I kind of have not really a plot hole, but a question on it, which I'll, I guess, I'll say for maybe my my plot hole time, even though I don't really believe it's a plot hole because everyone's different, but. I'll save it. I'll save it for later. But I just have a question regarding Hagrid and uh, no, no. I will bring it up now. Here's my thing: yeah, is like, well. is he thanks Harry and Hermione and Ron? Like they say, it's all because of you guys because you cleared my name. Here, because they remember they snapped Hagrid's one in half when he was expelled. Well, now that Hagrid's name is cleared, doesn't it stand to reason that he could go back to school and learn and have a new wand and become a fully fledged wizard if he wanted to? And like, does he just choose not to because he's okay with what his life is now, and that doesn't matter to him? Like, because you know how some people, you know, even like like we like to relate it to real life. You know, some old people decide, hey, you know what, I want to go back to school and get a degree in something. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe at forty years old. So like, I don't know. It just stands to reason that maybe he could have became a fully fledged wizard since they got his name cleared. What do you think? Yeah, I have to. Um... I have to agree with you. It, yeah, I mean, that that is very true. It's like they just never took the time to even try to reinstate him. Like, they yeah. just didn't care. Like, his name was cleared, and they're like, well, you've already been out for, like, a year. So, <laughs> what's the point? Like, he's been... <laughs> you've been out for a long time. Like, no one cares. Um, but I do think... I mean, maybe it's because they felt like what we're going to talk about later, I'll let you get into, you know, I guess he was qualified enough where he didn't need that, maybe, I guess. It's just um, interesting. Which there's a lot of secrets on Hagrid. I still even have questions about. I even looked up, you know, there's a moment where he talked about, like, his dad had died. I looked up, like, how his dad passed away. No one knows. <laughs> so, I mean, um, he is the keeper of the keys, man. But, yeah, that's. I think that... I would call it a poll. I don't know if I would call it a plot hole because maybe there is a reason behind it. Maybe he just doesn't want to. Maybe he's like, you know what? My time has passed. You know, I'm just going to do my teaching job. Maybe he just doesn't care to become a fully fledged wizard. It's interesting how the, like the option isn't given to him and he makes a choice. It'd be nice if like JK Rowling decided to like, let us know like, Hey Hagrid, you know, since you're cleared, you've got this opportunity to go back to school and become a fully trained wizard and have a wand that actually works. You're not using your umbrella anymore. And then Hagrid like turns it down for whatever reason. Like that'd be cool. But like, we're just kind of left wondering like, why does he just get stuck without being a wizard? But Oh, well, (laughs) um, (laughs) to move on from that, I got in page 100. I thought it was funny because like the first class that they go to is uh, divination and, 
they meet Sir Cadigan for the first time. He's this knight in a portrait who's like, I, I'd say this with like, you know, no offense to anybody, but he had what I would call like short man syndrome. Like he was trying to prove himself <laughs> to everybody. Like he tried to like, uh, he fell off his horse. He thought like Harry and Ron and Hermione were laughing at him. He pulls this big sword and tries to challenge him to a duel then he drops the sword because it's too big for him and then he tries to pull himself up and pull the sword out and he can't pull the sword out because it's it's too strong and then he tries to get on his horse when they decide to tell him hey listen we're not trying to give you a hard time man we just want to know where this plate like this classroom is and he's like oh a quest and then he tries to get on his horse to like ride the horse through the paintings but he can't get on the horse he falls off the horse he's like well on foot then good sirs and madam lady <laughs> and so i just thought yeah it was a really funny moment it's something silly but i like i like sir cadigan he's funny um yeah, that was awesome page 102 we meet professor trelawney for the first time and what she gives me an impression of she gives me an impression of like those fake psychics that say generic things that you can just tie into anybody's life like, oh, you have got a great sadness in you. And, like, anyone could, like, figure out, like, that could be anything for anyone, right? So I just, I did, I did say, though, she did make some, like, offhand, like, predictions that were kind of cool. Like, for future dates, you know, she said, fear the 16th of October to Lavender. And then actually something did happen and came in the mail that day. I thought that was pretty darn cool because that's, <laughs> you know, that could have just never happened. And so, you know, she had her little tiny ones that, you know, it was it was generic enough to where you couldn't say, oh, she definitely predicted that. But it was still interesting that, generally speaking, what she said kind of came to pass in certain ways. Like Neville breaking the cup, like, you know, the 16th of October, like someone leaving our, uh, someone leaving us forever. Like you meant to think that's someone dying. I'm not going to get too far ahead, but like, you know, around Easter time, yeah. one of our number will leave us forever. So like all the things she does say kind of do come to pass, but like it's super generic to where like you can't be like, oh, she definitely predicted that. But then, obviously, right, for yeah. very, very, like, you know, our last episode that we'll do in, you know, not this week or next week, but the week after, she does come up with something crazy, which I won't say anything more than that. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I just thought she she just gave me the impression of one of those fake psychics. Um, it's funny. I, I Page 106, Hermione, this is the first time, you know, Hermione gives a teacher attitude ever, you know. So, like, this, <laughs> this is, uh, she goes... But Professor Trelawney was staring into the teacup, rotating it counterclockwise. The falcon, my dear, she says to Harry, you have a deadly enemy. And Hermione says, well, everyone knows that. And then everyone stared at her, shocked. And she goes, well, they do. Everyone knows about Harry and you know who. And it says, Harry and Ron stared at her with a mixture of amazement and admiration. They had never heard Hermione speak to a teacher like that before. So that's when I started growing a little bit of like, like I've never been anti-Hermione, but she definitely annoyed me and she definitely wasn't as prominent as the movies made her out to be for the first two books. She starts to grow on me a lot in this book. This is a book where like, I'm like, okay, I'm a, I'm on Hermione. I'm on, I'm on team Hermione, right? So <laughs> there you go. Uh, not, not quite yet, but we're getting there. And then you can be taught. <laughs> <laughs> we get to page 110 and Ron and Hermione argue about the Grimm. We'll talk more about that in foreshadowed events. I don't want to get too much into it, but I just found it funny how they're going back and forth about this creature that is characterized just like something Harry saw, which again, I'll save for the next portion that we, we go over. Going to page, let's see, 114. We're introduced to hippogriffs for the first time. Uh, you know, I guess that could be considered a foreshadowed event too, but even in the moment, it's still cool because we're, we're seeing these creatures that are like part bird part horse like it's just like their whole their whole depiction is just really really cool 
Um, he even says like like when he talks about their different coats, like they change from like smooth feather to hair, different colors, stormy gray, bronze, pink, roan, gleaming chestnut, inky black. Like, so I just thought it was pretty interesting how they looked. And then uh, you say they had, this is how they're described. They had the bodies, hind legs, and tails of horses, but the front legs, wings, and heads of what seemed to be giant eagles with cruel steel-colored beaks and large, brilliant orange eyes. So I thought that was pretty dope. Uh, page 117, everyone was kind of scared about the, the uh, class, so Harry had to take it upon himself to be like, all right, I'm going to take charge here because this is my boy Hagrid, so I'm going to go ahead and be the one to volunteer first which was shout out harry that was what you should have done good boy he actually gets a buckbeak to bow to him and then harry rides buckbeak for the first time which also could be considered a foreshadowed event of riding buckbeak um then we get into page 118 malfoy makes a mistake and insults buckbeak and this this is where you know buckbeak attacks malfoy and this also could be considered a foreshadowment. It's funny because like some of these favorite impact moments can also be considered foreshadowed events for later on too. So um, then we go like we go a couple pages further than that. I put on page 122, like Hermione, Harry, and Ron, they went down to visit Hagrid to kind of console him about his first first class. And Hagrid like loses his mind that Harry went to visit him after dark. Like, he was drinking, he got really drunk, and then they, they took the drink away from him, and Hagrid poured his, put his face in, like, the water barrel, comes back in, he's like, what do you think you're doing, eh? You're not to be go wander around after dark, and you two, letting him do it. Like, just getting mad out of nowhere. <laughs> like, he just had a full conversation with them, didn't even realize it, because he was, like, tipsy. Then he, like, kind of puts his face in water to sober up, he realizes that they're out after dark, and obviously with all the stuff going on with Sirius Black that we we're starting to hear about, that's a big no-no. So, uh... Now we're going on a little bit further to page 124. Malfoy milks his injury and Snape makes Ron cut his roots. I thought that was so, like, that's such a low thing to do. Like, you're like, oh, man, my arm hurts. So hey, hey, Professor Snape, can you make Ron cut my roots for me? And, like, he makes him do it. And, like, Ron, like, gets really mad and gives him really bad roots. And then Malfoy's like, Professor Snape, he butchered my roots. And Snape makes him switch them. And Ron, like, had really great roots that he did for himself. That really sucked. So he just, just a little bit, a little teacher's pet he was with Snape, isn't he? Um, Can I say something about that real quick? Yeah, 100%. Um, he reminded me of Eric Cartman. If you've ever seen South Park. Um, it reminded me just like that when he was like, oh, butters, I remind you to, yeah, I mean, South Park has a lot of bad language, but it was all, it reminded me of exactly Eric Cartman. If he was standing there, he's like, oh, I guess you got to cut my caterpillars. <laughs> he's like, oh, I guess you're going to have to cut my caterpillars, I guess. Mm. <laughs> so great. And then I remember Snape was like. Ron, hurry up and cut his caterpillars. Well, they were roots. They were they were the roots they had. But the next thing I think that's really important, and this comes up big, and this this could probably be considered a foreshadow event. But I like the moment itself. We clearly find out that Malfoy knows something about Sirius Black and why Mister Weasley. Which I won't say what goes in yet because I've still have to do foreshadow events for the conversation Harry overhears. But and I'll save this part, you know, for later on in foreshadow events too. I just want to point out Malfoy knows something that Harry doesn't about the situation because he says stuff like if I were you I wouldn't just be standing idly by I'd be going looking for him and stuff like that so like <laughs> um, I want to just put that there for now put a pin in it 
tackle it later for foreshadowed. Um, moving on to page 128, Snape takes five points from Gryffindor because Hermione helped Neville so his toad wouldn't be poisoned. Literally, he <laughs> says, like, if Neville's done this wrong, likely his toad will be poisoned. And so he was willing to let Neville's toad die just to prove that he's not good at potions. Like, we get it, Snape. Neville's not good at potions. You want to kill his toad, too? <laughs> like, that's really messed up. And then Hermione, like, does any good human would and helps him. And Snape's like, ah, I'm taking five points because you didn't let me kill his toad, Hermione. <laughs> you didn't let me kill his toad. So, I thought that was messed up. Uh, then we go on to page 131. Uh, Peeves is giving Lupin a hard time, so... Uh, Lupin uses a spell called Wadawasi and shoots a wad of gum out of the keyhole up Peeves' left nostril. I thought that was awesome. Um, we learn about Boggarts for the first time. And in a way, they remind me of like a Pokemon called Ditto, where like, you know, they take yeah. they take a form, obviously in the evil way, right? They, t- they take the form of whatever scares you the most. So like, it just reminded me like, you know how, if you guys, anyone here listening to our podcast are Pokemon fans, Ditto can take the, the shape of any Pokemon it sees. So it just kind of reminded me of that in a way. So I thought that was fun because we don't know what a bogger in its true form looks like. Cause as soon as something, it sees something, it transforms into what it fears. So we don't really know what a true form bogger is supposed to look like. So that's pretty cool. Um, page 134. Uh, we have a very special moment here. And why do I say it's a special moment? Because there is a specific spell that they use to repel Boggarts. And that spell is ridiculous. And if you guys know us here, that's part of where we get our, our team name, I'll say. Uh, you, know, this is, you know, this book itself comes with big, the, the two big pieces of our names as, as artists, as, as Ridiculous Patronus. So... Uh, I thought that was really cool. This is the, the page 134 of the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is where we first hear the spell ridiculous for the first time. So just well, wanted to point that out. That. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting you on that. Malice and oh, the yeah. Chalice for that one, by the way. Cheers, my man. definitely our book. <laughs> yes, sir. Sure. Malice and the Chalice, baby. Um, yeah, I will say, like, when we came up with that, too, the cool idea was... Um, remember, a Patronus is a defense spell, and this is a debate show. You remember, Ridiculous is the curse they shoot to uh, shoot it down. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of like, almost like a play on words. Like, of course, like, you know, this is factor fantasy kind of thing, but it's almost like you have no defense for what we're going to tell you because we're going to back everything up with facts. <laughs> like, your Patronus is ridiculous, kind of. So, um, but yeah, man, this is definitely our book. Uh, that's for sure. So I'll let you keep taking it away. I won't say it's my book. I do like it, but it's not my favorite one. But we'll save the rankings oh, of the yeah. books for very, very few. But this is where, you know, this is where we get our, uh, a lot of um, Brand. yeah, branding. That's a perfect word for it. Exactly right. And for those of y'all didn't know, because I had a question about this this week. Um, actually, shout out to buddy Jason in DC, a journalist. He listens to us a lot. Uh, but he was wondering about that. He was like, so, like, are y'all, like, but I thought y'all were factored fantasy. So, those that don't know, like, we also do other things, too. Like, how, like, I wrote my script or, you know, we have the website where we put all the blogs and everything on. And, you know, we put our show there. So, Factor Fantasy is our show. Josh and I do a lot of different stuff. Like, you know, we try to keep you updated on everything. Or, you know, you might not just see the podcast or listen to it. 
So we'll put it on the website where you can actually see uh, the iconic moments of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets right now and soon to be the Prisoner of Azkaban. Like, Ridiculous Patronus is our brand. So when you, like, and follow us on Instagram. So people have had that question before. Like, I thought you were Factor Fantasy. Well, the show, we are Factor Fantasy because this is the show, F-O-F. But Ridiculous Patronus, we are the Ridiculous crew here. So to put it <laughs> so, in, like, easy terms for so. people to understand... Ridiculous Patronus is our like our team artist name, and Factor Fantasy is the name of this specific show. So we could go on to do like sports podcasts, and we'd still be operating under the name, you know, Ridiculous Patronus, right, or whatever we do. So Ridiculous Patronus is our our combined team name, and then like that's for like the artist name, and then Factor Fantasy is this specific show's name where we break down the the fantasy uh, fiction genre and, and things of that yeah. nature. So. Good thing. So an example of that real quick, yeah. just so they can understand. Like Barstool Sports, they have a bunch of podcasts in Barstool Sports. So Ridiculous Patronus is like our Barstool. Um, whereas like Call Her Daddy podcast, that's a podcast in Barstool. So like Factor Fantasy is our podcast in Ridiculous Patronus. So. 100%. Alrighty. So let's let's move back on into the, into the book here. Because uh, now I'm going on to page 136. And we learn actually that harry because like you know we learn why professor lupin doesn't let harry tackle the bogger he doesn't say it here he says it later on but harry even just out of common sense you would think oh it's probably going to be lord voldemort who scares harry the most but harry's started to think of a fully grown voldemort return to full power but then like that fear switches and he starts thinking about the Dementor. So we learn that Dementors are actually the thing that scares Harry the most and not Lord Voldemort, which is really cool because guess what? Lord Voldemort's been uh, an evil, like whatever, an evil being since the beginning of Harry's life. Like, like this is the guy who's tried to kill Harry when he was one years old, when he was 11 years old, when he was 12 years old. So you would think that this guy is the one, but Harry just met a Dementor for the first time, like, Three days ago, whatever the time frame difference is between the start of this class and when he got on the, the train. And this Dementor scares him so much that he forgot all his 13 years of history with Lord Voldemort and said, Nah, man, Dementors are what is really I'm not I'm not down with. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, 137, page 137, Professor Snape in, in Neville's grandmother's clothes. I thought that was funny. Just something to touch on quickly. <laughs> Just some humor factor in there. Awesome. Um and page 141, we start to get a list of creatures that Lupin has shown them. So, because we talk about like top five magical creatures, uh, I'm going to name the ones that are listed here, not our favorite ones, but just the ones that they start tackling up to this point in Defense Against the Dark Arts class. It says, uh, but no one else, because this is your point, I'm going to leave this sentence above it for you because that's the one I sent you last night with the circled it. So I'm not going to say that sentence because I'm going <laughs> to leave it for you. But right underneath that, it says, But no one else cared that Professor Lupin's robes were patched and frayed. His next few lessons were just as interesting as the first. After Boggarts, they studied Redcaps, which are nasty little goblin-like creatures that lurked wherever there had been bloodshed, in the dungeons of castles and the plot holes of deserted battlefields, waiting to bludgeon those who had gotten lost. From Redcaps, they moved on to Kappas, creepy water dwellers that look like scaly monkeys with webbed hands itching to strangle unwitting wanderers in the pond. So you start to see like there there's a bunch of magical creatures that get brought up in this uh, in this book. So just want to touch on that there. Uh, page one forty three. This is something that's kind of sad 
Because I, I did like this guy. He's a super... He's like a supporting character, even a lower-end supporting character. But Oliver Wood, we find out it's his last year at Hogwarts. He's got one more yeah. chance at winning the Quidditch Cup because you know what happened the first year when Harry was there. Uh, the, the stuff that happened down below with uh, Professor Quirrell and Lord Voldemort on the back of his head. Harry wasn't there for that last match. He was in the hospital wing. Uh, last year, it got canceled. The, the call of Quidditch got canceled because the Chamber of Secrets was open. So now... Like this is Oliver Wood's last chance to win the Quidditch Cup, so you kind of you kind of feel right. for him a bit. Um, then page one forty four, uh, that just thought it was funny that uh, <laughs> uh, Fred and George are just making jokes on Oliver Wood, basically saying because uh, like Oliver was being very serious, trying to pump up his team. He's like we got two unbeatable beaters. And he's like, stop it, Oliver. You're embarrassing us pretending to blush. <laughs> and then he's like, and then he goes on to list all the other good things about the other Quidditch players. And then George's like, we think you're very good too, Oliver. And Fred's like, yeah, spanking good keeper. Spanking good keeper. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. Uh, we get to page 148. And this is kind of a full circle moment, but it's definitely an, an impact one. The 16th of October arrives and Lavender finds out that her rabbit was eaten by a fox. So Hermione has some like issues with that, and she kind of goes back and forth about that. I won't, I won't do that now. But I just thought it was cool that even so, Professor Trelawney predicted a date where like something bad would happen, and she at least got the news, which is dang close for someone yeah. who's a fraud, right? For the most part. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, pe- Lavender Brown, man, but, you never know, might be related, right? <laughs> then uh, Professor it's McGonagall, sad. she refuses to sign Harry's permission slip to Hogsmeade. Thought that stunk. Uh, and I thought this was pretty cool, too. Dean Thomas, we don't hear a lot from him throughout the book. But at this point, he yeah. offered to forge Uncle Vernon's signature, which probably would have worked if he had done that first, because no one would have known that he didn't get his permission <laughs> slip signed. But since he went to McGonagall first, now they all know that he doesn't have one. So if he did get it signed by Dean, they'd be like, dude, you forged this. And then he'd probably get in even more trouble. So... Uh, right. But if he went to Dean first, he might have been able to uh, to sneak it in there. Uh, um, moving on to page 154. That's where... Uh, and this is a big foreshadowed moment too, but I won't talk about it in depth. I'm just going to say in one fifty, page 154, there's a certain creature in Professor Lupin's office called a Grindylow. The reason why I say it's foreshadowed, it comes up big later on in Deathly Hallows when there's yeah. a certain thing that happens and... Uh, a question needs to be asked. I think this, this is really cool just to bring up there quickly. Um, but then to, to learn a little bit about what a Grindylow is, this is a new creature that for Defense Against the Dark Arts. Grindylow is a water demon. It's a water demon mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, he, he said, we shouldn't have much difficulty with him, not after the Kappas. The trick is to break his grip. You notice he have normally long, long fingers. They're strong, but very brittle. So we get to learn a little bit about Grindylows. Uh also, I don't know how I want to approach this because this kind of gives away something for the very end of the book. I'm going to do my best to dance around it. But this last paragraph has me questioning something. He, he says, um, Professor McGonagall told me, Lupin said, passing Harry a chipped mug of tea. You're not worried, are you? Talking about the tea leaves. And Harry says, No. Harry then thought for a moment of telling Lupin about the dog he'd seen in Magnolia Crest, but decided not to. He didn't want Lupin to think he was a coward, especially since Lupin already seemed to think he couldn't cope with a bogger. My question is, 
Would Lupin have disclosed certain information to Dumbledore if Harry had told him about the dog he'd seen right then and there? Like, uh, do you know where I'm going with that or no? Yeah, I do. I'm trying to figure out a way to like that's I don't want to go too much further than that because that puts up a big like, you know, that's a big reveal that I don't want to spoil for for the listeners now. But because you you finished you finished the book, you know what I'm talking about. Lupin has been debating about divulging a certain piece of information to Dumbledore uh, the whole year. And so I'm wondering if Harry would have told him right here about what he'd seen that we just mentioned, if Lupin, if that would have been the teetering point where Lupin's like, I have to tell Dumbledore. I think he... I... Man, that's very tough. Because the catch is, I would say... Mm, here's my issue. I would say yes. The reason why is because he's already been close enough to Dumbledore where Dumbledore, you know, chapters come up later. You know, he's super ill and that sort of thing. However, my debate to that... Um, in contrast where it's a tough call because you know chapter 10 which we'll get into next episode um you know there's things that like he didn't even admit to i mean snape knows things but also for instance there is a piece of parchment <laughs> right like, you know and that's exactly what i'm talking about. about so maybe so. maybe we should just table this for later on i just want to bring it up now i hope i remember to do it in two weeks when this comes up uh you know when we get it's to that point one. because it's a big one. i wonder because that that could have changed yeah. the whole scope of the book because if lupin divulges that piece of information now the whole game's changed because that's what that's a certain mm-hmm. person's um like that's their what's making it work for them is that people don't know this thing about them. I don't want to go much further. Yeah. So let me just go ahead and put a pin in it. We'll talk about it in in two weeks. I hope I, I'm gonna make a note to remind <laughs> so, myself to bring this up here on one page one fifty four. Yeah, definitely put a note in because that's a huge one. Yeah. I mean, that's something we could probably debate for the next thirty minutes. Right. I know you're right. So <laughs> not more. That's awesome. Let me go ahead and, and jump back into. It. I only got a few more here before I turn it over to you. Um, Lupin explains to Harry why he didn't let him face a boggart, which of course is because Lupin was under the impression that Harry would have feared Lord Voldemort the most, and he didn't want to cause a panic in the classroom to have a fully formed Lord Voldemort like appear in front of them, and so that's why he didn't let Harry attack it. Um, then, page one fifty eight, you know Harry, or sorry Hermione and Ron, they come back from Hogsmeade and like they don't rub it in, but they do list all the places that they went to, and you can tell Harry's kind of like jealous in a way that he wasn't able to partake in that cool adventure so i just thought that was something worth notating but one part that's really huge here is page 160 and 161 the fat lady's portrait was slashed and peeves tells dumbledore that it was serious black and the part i'm just going to bring up here is so far if we're up to this point and we don't know what we know by the end of the book and we're just taking it for as it is right now serious black is a badass number one he's the first person to ever escape azkaban and now he's broken into Hogwarts, which is supposed to be impossible too. So let's just, and and keep in mind he's doing this as a fugitive while the entire country's looking for him. So like this guy, yeah. man, like this guy. That's all I'm gonna say. Then we go on to uh, page 165, and I like this uh, 
this quote from Dumbledore because uh, he says, he goes, this is from Professor Snape. He asked Dumbledore, have you any theory as to how he got in, Professor? And then Dumbledore replies, many, Severus, each of them as unlikely as the next. I really liked that reply there. I thought that was pretty dope. Yeah. And then in page 166, Professor, I'm sorry, Percy asks Professor Dumbledore, like, hey, didn't the Dementors want to help and come in and help search? And, like, this is out of character for Dumbledore. He says his eyes got very dark, and he said, uh, no Dementor will cross the threshold of this castle while I am headmaster. Because, you know, keep in mind, and this yeah. is a good point that you brought up in the beginning of this episode, that they changed the, the actor because, unfortunately, the, the man who played Dumbledore in the first two movies passed away. They changed the actor here. This is the very first time where, like, he kind of gets a little stern. Like you see, like you see, like the gleam like lose from his eyes, yeah. and he kind of gets like a little bit of like mm-hmm. seriousness. But I don't love the new portrayal of the new guy. But that's for a different time. But um, uh, we go yeah. back to uh, page one sixty seven. Sir Cadigan replaces the fat lady as the new uh, portrait to get in for the passwords, which is kind of funny because he's the guy that had that whole issue in the portraits carrying them to divination and all that good stuff. So he's just a, he's a clown, but he's funny. I like him. Page 168. Uh, Professor McGonagall almost stops Harry from practicing Quidditch. But then she ends up coming to a compromise saying, okay, fine, but we're going to have Madame Hooch watch it over. I need to have a teacher out here. Because now that Sirius Black broke in, it's common knowledge that, you know, I don't want to give it because we'll talk about and foreshadowed events, but Sirius Black is there for a purpose. And, you know, now that everyone knows about it and he's able to get in, they've got to ramp up the security measures, right? So now... Page 168, this is your boy. We learn about Cedric Diggory for the first time. That's all I'll say. Oh, yeah. That's all I'll Cedric say there. Diggory, I'll save Cedric for you. So uh, then we go into page 173. Snape has them write an essay on how to recognize and kill werewolves, which I guess you can kind of use that as a foreshadowed event too. But I thought that was interesting. It's a good moment there. Like he makes him feel really dumb. And I know you've got a whole sentence or a whole thing on that. So I'm not going to take it under there. All I'll say (laughs) is I I just, I I thought it was really interesting how, uh, you know, Snape has something against Lupin and we figure out what it is, but like he's, he's got, he's got that in for him. And then Mm -hmm. uh, page 176, they're playing Quidditch against Hufflepuff in the worst possible weather conditions. Like it's raining like it's coming down hard. I know you've got some stuff about that too that I'm not going to take from you. So I just, you know, they get to that point where, you know, Hermione does something and helps Harry out and makes it a little bit more manageable. But then uh, at least 100 Dementors were standing beneath Harry and Harry hears his mom's last moments of life in his head and he passes out and falls off his broom from 50 feet in the air. And like they thought he was dead, but like, you know, we learn in just a little bit because I don't, we're going to stop right to the end of this chapter. So I don't want to get ahead and say what we learned because that's going to be for next week. But he didn't really fall 50 feet in, in splat. Something happened to where, you know, he was not harmed. Yeah. I'll say that. And then um, page 181, we do kind of go over. I want to read this because we go over the scenarios and where uh, the Gryffindor still has a shot at the Quidditch Cup. So basically... Uh, they lost by 100 points. So if Hufflepuff loses to Ravenclaw and Gryffindor beats Ravenclaw and Slytherin, and it says Hufflepuff will have to lose by at least 200 points. And it says, but if they beat Ravenclaw, and George says, no way, Ravenclaw is too good. But if Slytherin loses against Hufflepuff, then it goes into saying, it all depends on the points and margin of 100 either way. So basically what needs to happen, Hufflepuff needs to lose Ravenclaw Gryffindor needs to beat Ravenclaw and Slytherin. 
and they cannot have Slytherin lose against Hufflepuff. That's how they're still alive yeah. in the Quidditch Cup. So I wanted, I thought that was pretty cool. And then the last, uh, the, the page here at um, 182, and this is where I'll end it, and I'll turn it to you to take us through the beginning of Hogwarts to the end of this chapter, is we learned that Harry's Nimbus 2000 hit the Whomping Willow and was destroyed. Hermione gave Harry the bag of the splintered wood that used to be his broomstick. And that's where I'll stop off here. That's the end of chapter nine. I'll give it to you. You tackle from arrival of Hogwarts to the end of chapter nine on your favorite moments. And we'll get into our awesome uh, foreshadow events and all that good stuff. Yeah. And, and that was a, the broom. That was a very emotional moment. hundred percent. Like, especially as a book, you know, it's just all in splinters from the whomping willow. That damn thing's had it out for Harry <laughs> for, uh, since the beginning, man. <laughs> Going all the way back to Chamber of Secrets. Uh, first thing I'll bring up is actually, so right as they arrive at Hogwarts, um, I thought this was really cool because it was something different. It was actually created for the movie. Not too big of a deal, but um, it was the choir. They actually called in the frog choir that sings this song to... Uh, I guess, like, as they're coming in, right as they're about to do the big house feast when everyone's getting sorted. Um, and, you know, I'm, Jay Nelly and I, we're not the best voice people, but it was pretty cool. You know, they're like, bubble, bubble, toiling trouble. It was really cool. But I'll read you the lyrics, and then I'm going to let you hear it. Not from me, because those choir boys, man, they, they kill it. I can't compete with those guys, man. Flitwick would throw me right on out. Um, but the choir song is they're coming into Hogwarts. So this was actually created for the movie. So I thought it was really cool. Um, a really awesome ad. It's from the Frog Choir. And it says, Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire and burn and cauldrons bubble. Double, double, toil and trouble. Something wicked this way comes. Eye of newt and toe of frog. Wool of bot and tongue of dog. At whose fork blind worms sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing, double, double, toil and trouble, fire burning cauldron's bubble, double, double, toil and trouble, something wicked this way comes, and the cauldrons boil and bake, fillet and finny snake, scale of dragon, tooth of wolk, witch's mummy, meow and gulf, Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron's bubble. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron's bubble. Double, double, toil and trouble, something wicked this way comes. <laughs> That's when, like, Flickwick's, like, holding this, like, little, uh, what do you call the conductor thing? Yeah. <laughs> conductor I know what you're thing. talking you're like, about. I don't know what it's called, though. So y'all don't hear it from my choir voice, because I'm not exactly the choir man. I wish I could go out for the opera or something, you know, get another side gig going. But unfortunately, you know, good Lord hasn't blessed me with that talent here. I'm still working on it. Still working on it with my Ginny of Old Stones. But I'll go ahead and let you hear it just so you have fun with it. Thank you. 
So, <laughs> yeah, that was a banger. <laughs> that was one of the one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was cool. It was like a, a unique ad because, like, it's funny because we usually hear about the sorting hat and stuff, like singing songs in the book. We never even get anything like that in the movie. So I thought it was like kind of a cool ad with their own twist on it. So um, back to the book part. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought it was cool. You know, uh, right as this whole thing starts, right? We kind of have this kind of suspicion of what's going on because, you know, McGonagall has to see Hermione in her office, right? And that's a big moment we'll talk about later for something that happens much later on. So that definitely caught my eye. Um, Dumbledore also tells his students that the Dementors are at Hogwarts on the Ministry's orders. So that's a that's a big one. Um, and uh, you know, he was saying, you know, they're there and he, it wasn't, you know, they talk about this earlier, um, in one of these conversations that you'll talk about. Um, but you know, Dumbledore's not exactly the happiest with this, but, but they're there on the ministry's orders. Um, so, uh, here at this point, you know, another big moment is, we find out Hagrid is now the new Care for Magical Creatures professor. So that's that's definitely a big one there. So I was actually really happy for him um, because you never really get to see Hagrid in that sort of big moment. And you could even tell, you know, Hermione, Ron, and Harry, all the students were really happy for him because Hagrid really is, he's not the most standout person, like intellectual kind of guy, um, but he definitely is one of those good old boys kind of like an Eddard Stark. he's just a, yeah, yeah he's just a good Stark guy Stark. man just yeah. a good quality Eddard guy Stark, man <laughs> um then uh so going into kind of chapter six you know talons and tea lions a lot of this i have talons and tea leaves like it's talons and tea leaves on. Is it, how do you say it? Talons? talons and tea leaves, not tea lions. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> talons and tea leaves. Once again, can't read my writing. Talons and tea lions. That would be really cool. Talons and tea leaves because remember they're looking in the cups yes. for the tea leaves there. There we go. Um, but one big one is, of course, the first Quidditch match. Uh, you know, you have that old rivalry, which we'll talk about in the next episode. There is a dirty match between these two, but... Uh, Gryffindor and Slytherin, uh, they're scheduled their first Quidditch match. Um, scheduled is the key word. <laughs> scheduled, exactly. Scheduled, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Hermione, here's kind of a big one, but this will come up later in foreshadowed moments. You know, she tells Ron uh, she's going to manage, but Ron is going back and forth with her, like, you don't have enough time for all the classes you're taking. Like, you're good, Hermione. You're good, Hermione. But you're not that good. And he was like telling her, you know, at nine o'clock, uh, you're scheduled at nine o'clock. You have muggle studies and also you have arithmetic at nine o'clock and divination. Like, how are you going to get to all these three at once? Um, which we'll talk about that later. But, you know, um, I thought this was kind of cool. Not very important, but Hagrid like showed up to his first class he's teaching with a cat swinging from a pole. I was like, uh, all right. A like, dead polecat. It was a dead polecat. Yeah, like yeah. a dead polecat. That's it, yeah. Very odd. Um, I thought Sir Cadigan was really cool, you know, in the North Tower. Um, I got some interesting facts on him later on, but 
Is he like dead or alive? He, like, he's in a painting. Quick question on that. I don't know, man. He's in a, he's like in a painting. So my assumptions that he's dead, but I don't know because people can paint people who are still alive. Like in the pictures, like, you know, for the chocolate frogs, Dumbledore was still alive in, in a uh, book one and he was still in the picture. So I don't know, man. I would assume he's dead because most of like Hogwarts is all historical, but I don't know. Right. That's my assumption. Yeah. No, no facts to back yeah. that up. That's just straight opinion. Yeah, I guess I would probably say, like, they're not really alive if they're in the paintings. Like, maybe it's, like, Bewitched or something. Yeah, probably. But I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> maybe it's, like, a ghost. Like, they're tra- trapped forever. Because remember, like, trap. you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when we looked at Dumbledore's office, all the previous headmasters are still in their portraits and mm-hmm. moving, even though they're passed away. But yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> that That's a very good point. Um yeah, and then I thought this was cool. You know, in order to get to divination, they had to go through like that trap door in the ceiling of like the North Tower, which they had never been um, been to. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and uh, you know, this is when you know they meet Sybil Trelawney, and like as they're in the class, you know, she's calling out everyone's like future. Um, which could you imagine that? Imagine if you were, she was like walking around the class and like, oh, you're not going to be here very long. Just like you said, you know, she says a big foreshadowing one, you know, one of you will leave us forever in Easter. And she was saying, uh, you know, God will catch a, a flu will catch me or I'll lose my voice. Um, and all this stuff is, is like happening to her, um, which, you know, she's saying that as she's going around the class and they're kind of even like mocking her. Because they're like, this is this lady's crazy. Just like I was, you were saying, like that's kind of how I see her. Is like, she can. It's very interesting because a lot of the stuff she says really is foreshadowing for things that even come up much later on, like even in Deathly Hallows, right? Um, but yeah, she's kind of like says those generic things that I feel like anyone could say if you paid them five dollars at the Crystal Ball Club up the street by the gas station so just kind of throwing that out there um and you know she tells them you know they're going to go into palmistry uh reading crystal balls and and that day they're going to be doing the teacups and they just got like a lot of stuff planned so that was pretty cool the classroom i will say it was like pretty awesome the way it was described it was like described as like this old-fashioned tea shop um surrounded by like armchairs um and then you know she was kind of like sitting in the back of like this armchair and like comes out of nowhere she reminded me of like the bird woman or something (laughs) that like pops out of nowhere um and then from here uh so what she kind of tells to the class like she acts like this is which is funny because she i feel like professor trelawney like feels like this subject is the most important out of everything well all the other professors are like the subject's a joke like you should probably not even take this like this is a waste of your time so just skip it right and she says the future is an issue with people that most people can't master the subject many witches and wizards talented though they are in this area um they, they are unable to master um, disappearings and veiled mysteries of the future. So she's like already telling them like, 
you know, y'all, even if you're the most talented, like, you still might not even master, like, this gift. Because it's a gift for people to be able to do this. Like, I'm so much better than everybody else. Which I gotta say this about the movie. I felt like the girl that played her in the movie with the big, like, eyes and stuff... They pretty much, like, I felt like they hit her, like, the nail on the head for that. I agree. Like, she looked just like kind of the way I pictured I think her. they did a great job and characterizing her, too. Yeah, that was, so I thought... It you know who awesome. she kind of, thought... like, reminded me of in a way? But, like, not evil? Uh, Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Uh, yeah, she did. <laughs> kind of... She reminded me of Yzma. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That was, that was fantastic. Um, so, uh, then, uh... You know, here's what she says. She says, if is a gift granted to few, you boy, she said suddenly, Neville, I feel so bad for him. He's always getting picked on. Who almost toppled off his, uh, almost toppled off his chair. Is your grandmother well? I think so, said Neville uh, tremulously. I wouldn't be so sure if I were you, dear. <laughs> so messed up. Like, he keeps getting picked on, and here he's, like, here his grandmother is, like, about to die. Um, and then, you know, that's when you hear that other one. You know, unfortunately, classes will be disrupted in February by a nasty bout of flu, and my, I myself will lose my voice. And around Easter, one of our numbers will leave us forever, which that plays a big role later on. Um, and then here's the big one is they're doing the teacups which this is big foreshadowing later on so we'll kind of get into that later but Harry um, gets four big things the falcon club skull and the grim um, you know the falcon means Harry has an enemy the club means it predicts an attack the skull is dangerous in Harry's path and the grim is that giant dog omen which that's a big Big foreshadowing for her uh, later on, and also, uh, according to Yzma, Professor Trelawney um, predicts death, so that's a pretty big foreshadowing, so it's pretty funny, like, it's, like, generic stuff, but at the same time, it's very interesting for what she predicts, which, no spoilers, but, um, and then, uh, you know, from here, I would say... Um, I guess Professor Trelawney keeps going back and forth with Hermione, which is really funny because I feel like Hermione puts forth like her best effort, and with Snape and Trelawney, Hermione just can't win. Like she like busts her ass and still like can't win. Um, and she goes, "You'll forgive me for saying so, my dear, but I perceive very little aura around you, very little receptivity." to the renaissances of the future. And this was Trelawney to Hermione, or to Hermione. Like, just keeps, like, being the biggest bitch in the world. <laughs> to Hermione, being real. Um, and then she even goes further, and she's like, there's no need to say anymore, Miss Granger. Tell me <laughs> which of you will be dying this year. And, like, stops. Well, that like, was Professor McGonagall. That was Professor when, like, McGonagall. Going on. I think you messed um, up. That was this. actually McGonagall. Sorry, yeah, mixed up <laughs> there, but yeah, that yeah, was, was McGonagall. When, which goes into show, right? Like, none of the professors really care what Trelawney has to say. They kind of think of her as this big joke. You know what I mean? Um, and this is what McGonagall is saying. Of you know, she's predicted someone to die every single year 
since she's like been here and that person hasn't died yet so very interesting you know Trelawney's predictions <laughs> with what happens but um, they definitely see her as a joke um, and then you know Hagrid shows everyone Buckbeat the hippogriff I gotta say this was a gorgeous scene in the film you know Harry even gets to ride it it's visually stunning this is what I really think a lot of the visuals came out for Hogwarts remember like the hippogriff is going Buckbeak is going across the like lake and is like gliding over there with his massive wings and I do think you know we'll talk about Goblet of Fire I think some of the dragon work needed some help but the hippogriff was really cool uh to see on screen i will say which is a yeah. cool quick point um, to make that like in the book yeah. like in the book it just mentioned that buckbeak took him one lap around the paddock and and dropped him back down on the ground where like you said in the movie it, like it was a whole like journey around the castle so thought that was yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah exactly no it's so true 100 percent um and I thought it was cool because it, it does show, like, I, I like that J.K. Rowling took it a next step because the fact that Harry had to bow um, and then Buckbeak had to bow back to give it permission, like, showing hippogriffs demand respect and that their intellectual was a really cool, unique feature to put to them. So got to give uh, J.K. Rowling uh, props there. Um, and, you know, that's when... At that point, then Malfoy, being the little bitch he is, like comes up and uh, gets hit by the hippogriff and is like crying. The actor did okay in the film; like it wasn't terrible, but I feel like it definitely was played out better in the book. Like Malfoy is definitely Eric Cartman, like down to the oh, butters, you sick my bows, Cal. <laughs> Cal, this is a going away party, so why aren't you going away? That's exactly how Malfoy reminded me of in the book, right? And, um, you know, it says he was letting out, like, this high-pitched scream saying, I'm dying! As he was, like, yelling, panic, look at me, it's killing me! And it was just, like, this little scratch on his arm, which causes a big problem later. And I, I did want to bring this up because it really shows like how like say you mess up in your job at work like a real thing for people going into nowadays is you know being so stressed about your job and and depression like Hagrid in the book this wasn't really in the movie and he's like drinking because of depression and it described him like getting drunk when they go over there to see him because of the Buckbeat situation. Uh, and, like, Malfoy is, like, causing this whole turmoil where Lucius is going to get involved, right? Um, and it even says here, just to back it up for all our viewers, because I know this isn't something you would think you'd see in Harry Potter, it says, uh, One look told them that Hagrid had been drinking a lot. There was a, uh, a, a tankard almost as big as a bucket in front of him. And he seemed to be having difficulty getting them into focus. So he was definitely doing some drinking. You got some drinking going on, Hagrid? Yeah, get your drink. Get that, get that purple drink. <laughs> oh, yeah, good stuff. Um, but then, uh, you know, um, I thought it was good. You know, they went to go see him, and Hagrid realizes that, you know, 
Harry came to see him, and he was, like, freaking out that Harry had came to see him after dark. Like, when he realizes it, and he was like, around after dark, Harry, and you two letting him. Like, how dare you? Like, get back into the castle. Um, and that's, like, at first he was, like, so happy he got to see them. But this is when you're starting to realize, like, if Hagrid is acting like that, there is a very serious threat going on. I, ro- I see the pun I threw in there. <laughs> very interesting. Um, but there is a definitely something going on here that we need to know more about. So then going into chapter seven, uh, the Bogart and the Wardrobe. This is really cool. Bogart? Is that I call it a Bogart, but I could be wrong. I don't know. You're probably right. Bogart? I called it Bogart. <laughs> you know, who, I think it's Bogart. I think you're right. Or Bogart. Bogart is what I say, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. I think it's good stuff. Um, but this is what I wrote down, you know, the group is making their shrinking solution in Snape's class, which is absolutely awesome. Um, and, you know, Malfoy is still, like you were saying, being a little tool here still. Like, oh, cut up my caterpillars, Rod. And Snape's like, get to cutting his caterpillars because, you know, Malfoy is number one guy still. Um and then this is kind of a big one is Seamus Finnegan brings up to Harry that, you know, this person we're talking about getting so serious, <laughs> serious black um, that you mentioned has been spotted by muggles. So, and that was in the Daily Prophet. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then, you know, Professor Lupin is, uh, tells the class in Defense Against the Dark Arts, that's when they're going to be you know, that he found this Bogart, Bogart, to, uh, like, keep there for his class uh, that he convinced the school to keep. And um, it takes the shape of basically, like, whatever you fear uh, the most and, like, feeds off your fear, which is really cool. Um, and the charm, like you said, this is our, our charm here is ridiculous, <laughs> which is awesome. Um and you know uh, that's when you know neville you know he keeps getting picked on by professor snape so like you said i thought it was really really awesome that like his biggest fear is professor snape like man and i gotta say like the movie did it really well because in the movie like he it really shows him like in his grandmother's clothes like in the book um even it doesn't explain it as much but it still is pretty cool i did think this was cool uh, this wasn't in the film, but Pavarti uh, saw that blood-stained, um, bandaged mummy, which would be so creepy. And in the book, you know, it even has that illustration right on the front chapter. And then right after that, you know, it turns into a banshee on the floor when it's Seamus Finnegan's turn. So, and it's like letting out this scream. So you're seeing these very creepy, like, characters even Horror Nights, imagine how creepy that would be if they had, like, a Boggart in, like, a wardrobe. That would, like, come out in one of those houses. Ooh, that would be awesome. Like, right at the end. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I just wrote down, I thought it was cool, turned into a bloody eyeball for Dean, um, then uh, turned into a severed head um, that turned into, like, this hand that reminded me of the Adams family that was, like, crawling on the floor that um, when they shouted ridiculous got caught into a trap, like a mouse trap, and was trapped in there. And then Ron's, of course, just like in the film, 
uh, had spider legs. It really just kind of said, like, was, like, rolling. But I could see how they would do their uh, rolling, like, I guess, skates, roller skates. I guess that was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, kind of the big one here, um, you know, Lupin in the books, like, didn't let Harry go. Like, Harry didn't even get to take a turn, and neither did Hermione. And remember, they were like, he was like, and, you know, 10 points for Gryffindor, even for Harry and Hermione, for answering my questions. Like, just avoiding the thing altogether. So that was pretty cool. Um, chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady here. Flight of the Fat Lady, yeah. You know, just like you said, why? <laughs> um, uh, so, <laughs> Malfoy is being a complete tool in defense against the dark arts class this is what i was talking about earlier you left me that line that's one of my favorite lines so like lupin is becoming like the favorite guy here like no one can find anything bad to say about him his classes are fun they're enjoying it they're learning a lot he knows his stuff he's not making stuff up but like malfoy's still like the asshole he is excuse my language really is like, all he can think of is, like, Lupin's tattered clothes, which you find out later, you know, why. But Malfoy goes in a whisper, like, as loud as can be so Lupin would hear. Like, imagine this, like, deliberately trying to be an ass. I'd be so pissed if this kid was in my class. Those dresses look like our old house elf. <laughs> like, that's so messed up. Like, he was describing his clothes looking as bad as Dobby's pillowcase. He just says, he dresses like our old house elf. <laughs> like, such an ass. Like, the only thing you can think of. And still, like, says it. Like, do you know how embarrassing that is? What a tool. What a tool. Um, but, uh, like you said, this was really cool. Uh, the next subject I thought on here was cool was the red gaps, I guess is what they're called. Or red gaps? Red caps with uh, a C. Red cap yeah. caps. Yeah. Red caps. Gotcha. Yeah, they're like goblin-like creatures that like lurked wherever, uh, I looked this up, like wherever like bloodshed was in dungeons and castles. Um, and they're usually found like in potholes or battlefields, uh, which was really cool. So I just kind of looked that up. I thought it was interesting. But then the next subject was Kappas, like you said, um, which were like creepy water dwellers. Uh, they kind of look like scaly monkeys. Um, with webbed hands. Um, they're actually known for strangling um, people that wander into ponds. So I thought that was like interesting. I would not want to be caught by one of those things. Talk about drowning. Yeah, I hope you uh, hope you got some gillyweed on you <laughs> that we'll talk about later on because otherwise you ain't making it out. Um, Oliver Wood, like you said, man, you know, this reminded me of like that high school senior on the football team that's like given his speech like this is our chance this is our year like you know this is my last year to play on this team like this is our chance to win it and um so it was definitely pretty emotional for this quidditch cup here um and then the first hogsmeade weekend of course it's harry's luck it's on halloween like all these halloween parties go to hogsmeade and you ain't gonna be going here ain't gonna be going this time because you know why you chose to not play the story off and you chose to pull some magic on your old fake parentals so that's what you get um that's what you get when you're using magic oh 
Harry, you suck. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so you got to pay the price for that one. Uh, this is kind of a big one. I'll bring up later on for foreshadowing moments, but Crookshanks like chasing scabbers. Kind of a suspicious reason why on that. Um, that's kind of a big one. Um, then of course, you know, Harry asked McGonagall if he could go, and he's like, so she's like, basically, sorry, no, the form's the form. You know, you can try to go next year. Like, tough luck. That sucks. You're screwed all year. Um, like you said, uh, Lupin had the, uh, what'd you call it? Grindy? The Grindylow. Grindy, yeah, the Grindylow. 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 Yeah, the water demon in his office. That was really cool. Um, and he was telling Harry, you know, the reason he didn't let him fight the Boggart was because he thought he it was going to turn into Voldemort. And then that's when, like you said, you know, you find out, you know, that's not really what Harry's afraid of here. So that was really cool. Um, and Lupin even says, clearly, I was wrong. So Lupin's still frowning at Harry, but I didn't think it was a good idea for Lord Voldemort to materialize in the staff room. I imagined that people would panic. And it, you know, it, it you know, we were all kind of surprised here. Another big moment, which this is going to go more into foreshadowing moments, but while they're in the office... You know, Snape brings in that, like, smoking goblet. And, uh, you know, Lupin is even telling him, like, unfortunately, you know, they can't add sugar to it. It's a pity. And is like, sniffing it, and it, it tastes bad. And he's, you know, he's fortunate he works with Professor Snape because it's a complex, very complex. You're going to find out what it is. And I put a lot of really cool, interesting facts on it because... I'm definitely a snake guy, <laughs> potions guy. Um, and then, you know, he even says here, I've been feeling a bit off color. He said, this potion is the only thing that helps. I'm very lucky to be working alongside Professor Snape. There aren't many wizards who are up to making it. So very suspicious here. Um, and then this is when that big moment, you know, Large Marge, <laughs> the other fat lady. Just kidding. So the bat lady uh, has vanished from the Gryffindor portrait and you find out, you know, it has been slashed to pieces by uh, Sirius is who they think did it. So, uh, and you got to realize like at this point, there is a big threat going on with this. And um, Peeves is the one that tells Dumbledore, uh, Dumbledore that, and he saw her like, he was telling her that I guess she was like wasn't she like running somewhere like she was out of the place yeah, she, she was still alive she was running like, she was like, yeah running. she was running through other paintings and she was hiding in like Argyleshire or whatever like that but like yeah she was like running through them to get away from there and that's where he found that's when Peace found out you know what you're about what you're about to say so yeah that, that's right yeah I just wanted to make sure the audience knows she's not dead <laughs> she's just like I guess, like, he cut her out, like, carved her out, like, uh, Texas Chainsaw style. Michael Myers. Um, he says, oh, yes, Professor Head, said Peeves, with the air of one cradling a large bombshell in his arms. He got very angry when she wouldn't let him in, you see. Peeves flipped over and grinned at Dumbledore from between his own legs. Uh, nasty temper he's got, that serious black. So that was a pretty... Pretty big moment there, I would say. Um, then going into our, our last big chapter we'll cover today, you know, chapter nine, Grim Defeat. Uh, Snape suspects 
someone um, helped Black enter Hogwarts. That was kind of a big one because you're like, maybe he was working. Someone's working on the inside here. Um, and then, you know, the opening of the Quidditch match was changed from Slytherin to Hufflepuff. That was a big one. They were pretty pick, uh, pissed about that because, you know, that rivalry with Slytherin there. Well, not only that, um, keep in mind, they train for a specific type of team. Like, each team's different. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you're playing in the football league, like, if you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, you got to play a lot more pass defense than run defense and stuff like that. Like, the matchups are completely different from the Slytherin team to Hufflepuff. So they got switched on, like, last second. They had no idea. They had trained all this time to play the Slytherin team. Now they got a completely different matchup in Hufflepuff, but I just wanted to jump on and say oh. that real quick. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And this backs up your point because, um, so I was gonna say, you know, remember the reason this happened was because Malfoy is still bitching about yeah, his, his arm, arm. yeah, <laughs> like faking it, yeah. exactly crying like a little baby. Which I remember in football, trust me, like being beat up and bruised. I even like I had a broken ankle and played through an entire game. My game ankle is actually still swollen today. But like you're like crying. One of the biggest matches of the year for you, like sets off, starts off your season, and you're like the most important guy. I would say, like probably the most important person on that team with what you can do. And you're complaining of your little arms got a scratch on it, and you've already been to Madame Pomfrey. Get over yourself. And uh, just like you said, it said, and we've been practicing all these moves, assuming we're playing Slytherin instead. It's Hufflepuff. And their style's quite different. They got a new captain, Seeker, my boy, Cedric Diggory. Hickory Dickory Cedric. <laughs> Stoked, man. One of the best there was. One of the best Seekers. Their captain. We'll go into a lot more on Cedric later. Uh, and he gets he plays a big role, especially in the next book there. But this is when we really get first introduced to my boy here. But... One of the most down-to-earth guys, and I'll, I'll back that up with something uh, in this chapter that happens too. So, um, you know, so they wind up playing Hufflepuff, right? And it even says here, you know, how, how good Cedric is. Um, Oliver commented on it and said, Diggory's put together a very strong side, put a very strong side together. He's an excellent seeker, and I was afraid you'd take it like this. We mustn't relax. We must keep focus. Slytherin is trying to wrong foot us. We must win. So it even goes to show, you know, because Hufflepuff has sucked for years. Let's be real. They're, they've been, you know, they were the Detroit Lions for years. They were awful. But now, like, this is the year they actually have a legit chance because they got this star player, almost like that guy that was drafted first round that goes to the Cleveland Browns. Suddenly the Cleveland Browns, like, now OBJ's out, but, you know, you got Baker Mayfield, you got Jarvis Landry, <laughs> Landry, Landry, Landry. You got all these studs that wound up on a bad team. So they're actually a big threat now. Um, and then here's one of my favorite parts. Snape is teaching uh, defense against the dark arts, subbing in for Lupin. One of my favorite parts. In the movie, I got to say, too, it was really cool because when he walks in, he takes his wand and, like, shuts all the windows. So they're locked in the dark, almost like in the dungeon in his potions class. It was awesome. And this is my favorite part, so I will read this. He goes, uh, Lupin, he's feeling a little ill, to, a little too ill to teach today, Sage said with a twisted smile. I believe I told you to sit down, <laughs> looking at the class, which that's a little foreshadowing moment later we'll talk about. 
Um, but then Hermione, like usual, just like she's done all these years, putting her hand up in Snape's class, knowing the answer, and he goes, as I was saying before, Potter interrupted. <laughs> like, just interrupt, like, entirely ignoring her. No shots necessary. Um, Professor Lupin has not left any record of the topics you have covered so far. Like, just ragging on Lupin like he's this bad professor. Please, sir, Hermione Granger, we've done Bogarts, uh, Bogarts, Red Caps, Kappas, Grindy Lows, said Hermione quickly, quickly. And we're just about to start. Be quiet, <laughs> Snape said coldly. I did not ask for information. I was merely commenting on Professor Lupin's lack of organization. <laughs> I just read. Even worse, this is your colleague. Like, you're literally talking behind your colleague's back. Like, that's so crappy. Well, um, we find Snape out why. Them, yeah, like, what do you think of that? Don't you think that's so shitty? Well, yes, but, like, we find out why. It's, he's, it's personal against Lupin, you know yeah. what I mean? So It is, so, yeah, awesome. but still, like, you still work with the guy. Like, especially, like, nothing gets women. Um, guys, if you have a problem with someone, you, like, take it out in person, right? You don't go talk behind their back to their own class like they're not going to say anything. That's messed up. Um, but Snape tells them... Really a more slap in the face to somebody we'll talk about later on. We'll be covering werewolves today. You are easily satisfied. Lupin is hardly overtaxing you. I would expect first years to be able to deal with red caps and grindy lows. Today we shall discuss... <laughs> That's when Harry watched him flick through his textbook to the very back chapter, which he must know they hadn't covered. Werewolves, said Snape, which we'll talk about that ironically later on. And then Hermione tells Snape, you know, they're they're about to do hinky punk. What is it? Hinky punks? Hinky punks. No, you read the first time. Hinky punks. Hinky punks. Yeah. But sir, said Hermione, seemingly unable to restrain herself. We're not supposed to do werewolves yet. We're supposed to. We're due to start hinky punks. Miss Granger, said Snape in a voice of deadly calm. I was under the impression that I am teaching this lesson, not you. And I am telling you all to turn to page 394. He glanced around again. A lot. He says, all of you now. Snape tells the class, um, then, you know, how to tell the difference between a wolf and a werewolf. And he goes, well, well, well. I never thought I'd meet a third year class who wouldn't even recognize a werewolf when they saw one. I shall make a point of informing Professor Dumbledore of how very behind you all are. Please, sir, said Hermione, whose hands are still in the air. The werewolf differs from the true wolf in several small ways. The snout of the werewolf. This is the second time you have smoked out of turn, Miss Granger, Snape said coolly. Five more points from Gryffindor for being an insufferable know-it-all. So messed up. Like, such an ass. And then uh, Ron, this is a moment later we'll talk about foreshadowing, sticks up for Hermione here and goes, you asked us a question. She knows the answer. Why ask if you don't want to be told? And Snape gets pissed. Detention, Weasley. <laughs> Snape said, sticking his, face very sticking his face very close to Ron's. And if I ever hear you criticize the way I teach class again, you'll be very sorry indeed. And then Snape continues to criticize the class. 
very poorly explained. That is incorrect. The kappa is more commonly found in the magnolia. Professor Lupin gave this 8 out of 10. I wouldn't have even given you 3. When the bell rang at last, Snape had held them back. You will each write an essay to be handed to me on the ways you recognize and kill werewolves. I want two rolls of parchment on the subject, and I want them by Monday morning. If it's, if it's time, it is time somebody took this class in hand. Weasley, stay behind. We need to arrange your detention. Remember his detention? Weasley had to clean the bedpan. Without magic. So that was the big... Yeah. And imagine that, like, a substitute teacher that isn't even your teacher assigning you an essay because all he's done is no no encouragement whatsoever. Basically told you all how you suck <laughs> this entire class. So bad. Um, which a bad fan, if y'all don't know, that's literally like a urinal next to your bed, which you would dump out because you didn't want to get up to go to the bathroom at night, like in a hospital. Pretty messed up. Uh, last thing I have, this is... I thought this was awesome, right? Uh, the way it was in the book, the Quidditch match with Hufflepuff, because the weather was just absolutely terrible. Um, Hermione casts this spell, which repels, you know, the water from Harry's glasses, which I thought was genius. In the movie, I told you this morning, Jane Ellie, you know, this is my point. I was like, this is kind of a plot hole, because I thought, like, they would have given Harry goggles. Well, they solved it in the film by just giving Harry goggles, but then they, like, cut out all the cool parts. Like, there was no repelling the water. It's like you tried to kill, <laughs> tried to take care of it with the stone, but instead you just, like, opened up another plot hole. So I don't really get that, but um, it. I do want to describe this because this was really cool. It says, the wind was so strong that it staggered sideways as they went out in the field. If the crowd was cheering, they couldn't hear over the fresh rolls of thunder. Rain was splattering over Harry's glasses. How on earth was he supposed to see the snitch in this? Oliver Wood like, then calls for them in the match. With the first blast of lightning came the sound of Madame Hooch's whistle. Harry could just see the outline of Wood through the thick rain, uh, gusting him to the ground. The whole team splashed down in the mud, and that's when Wood called the timeout. And that's when Hermione came over there and casted a spell. And she goes, uh, Harry goes, I've got no chance with these on, Harry said exasperately, wavering his glasses. At that very moment, Hermione appeared at the shoulder, and she was holding her cloak over, over her head and was inexplicably beaming. I have an idea, Harry. Give me your glasses, quick. Uh, he handed over the glasses to Hermione as she watched in amazement. Hermione wrapped them with her wand and uh, tap them with her wand and says impervious, which I thought was an awesome spell because it's like reflecting the water off the glasses. She said, there, um, that'll repel the water for you, Harry. And then, you know, the match is going on and, and the weather is just violent. And in the clouds, like Harry, this big moment here, sees the silhouette of an enormous shaggy black dog in the sky, which... We'll talk about that uh, in foreshadowing moments. Um, but this is the big moment I wanted to talk about because it's just so brutally described uh, what's happening here. Um, but it says, you know, this is when, like you said, the Dementors are filling the field. And it says, but something odd was happening. An eerie silence was falling across the stadium. The wind, 
though as strong as ever, was forgetting to roar. It was as though someone had turned off the sound. As though Harry had gone suddenly deaf, what was going on? And then a horribly familiar wave of cold swept over him. Inside him, just as he had become aware of something moving on the field below. Before him, he had to think. Before he had time to think, Harry had taken his eyes off the snitch and looked down. At least a hundred dementors, like you said. That would be terrifying if you saw that underneath you. hundred dementors, their hidden faces pointed up at him, were standing beneath him. It was as though freezing water were rising on his chest, cutting out his insides, and then he heard it again. Someone was screaming, screaming inside his head, a woman. Not Harry. Not Harry. Please, not Harry. Stand aside, you silly girl. Stand aside now. Not Harry. Please, no. Take me. Kill me instead. Numbing, swirling, white must was filling the air around Harry's brain. What was he doing? Why was he flying? He needed to help her. She was going to die. She was going to be murdered. He was falling, falling through the icy mist. Not Harry. Please have mercy. Have mercy. Shrill voice was laughing and the woman was screaming and Harry knew no more. Harry woke up in the hospital wing surrounded by the Gryffindor Quidditch team. And that's like a wild scene. And at first when I was picturing this too, I was almost thinking, what? It wasn't because of what we kind of find out later from hearing things when Harry's training. But I was almost wondering if that was Harry, uh, Hermione screaming for Harry as he was falling, which I don't think it was. Just kind of a cool thought on that. Um, and, you know, he woke up, and that's when the Gryffindor Quidditch team, you know, Fred said, you fell off. Must have been, what, 50 feet? Hermione, uh, in a squeaky voice, said her eyes were extremely bloodshot. Um, but, the, but the match, said Harry, what happened? Are, are we doing a, re, a replay? Uh, and then no one said anything, and that's when you find out, you know, they lost the match. And then even worse, Harry's broom was swept over into the Whomping Willow, just like you said, and they hold it up, and it was splintered in pieces. And um, then the movie, that was really cool, because that was a really powerful moment when they were kind of holding it there in the hospital wing wrapped in that cloth just splintered everywhere and uh, it's almost like Harry just felt almost like defeated at that moment um, and you know I just imagine him just falling and you know everyone in the stands is probably freaking out and in the in the film uh, they do describe here you know Dumbledore like shot that spell to slow him down to help save him. Once again, double lore coming in when it never matters, like right at the very last moment again to save the day. Thanks, double lore. You were sitting at the match the entire time. Didn't bother to help anybody, but you can still shoot a spell on top of this field, so it really doesn't matter if you interrupt the Quidditch game because you still stop hearing from falling, but you couldn't stop it before. <laughs> like, it makes no sense to me. But, um, you know, in the movie, he shoots like, he says, like, a Volvo or something, and it, like, shoots a spell, like, kind of holding Harry down, which you don't get to really see in the book, which I thought was better. Um, but this is the point where I wanted to make... It really shows Diggory's such a good guy. Um, because they say here, you know, it says, we didn't lose. Diggory, um, Diggory got the snitch, said, we did lose. Diggory got the snitch, said George. Just after you fell, he didn't realize what had happened. When he looked back and saw you on the ground, he tried to call it off. Wanted a rematch. 
but they won fair and square. Even Woods admits it. It just goes to show, like, most people be like, screw it, man, I won. Let me help you out now. I already won. But Diggory had the character to be like, you know, this wasn't right. Like, you fell off your broom. This was clearly a penalty. Like, outside forces over here predicting the outcome. And, uh, you know, he even still was like, no, like, this isn't our win. This isn't right. But they gave it to him anyway. So I thought it was a good point where it just showed what good character Cedric had and just realizing it's just a game. Um, and, you know, for the first time ever, Harry didn't get the snitch. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Like, shows how good Harry is. Um, and then, you know, uh, so that's when that was happening. And, you know, the Nimbus 2000 was just splintered into pieces. And that's what I have for um, the moments that just really stood out to me. Stood out to me there. Awesome. Now let us get into our foreshadowed events, which is great. I can blow through these because there's no need to explain any of them. They just are here. Like these yeah. are the foreshadowed events, which is great because I can kind of blow through them. There's no explanation necessary, right? So on pages uh, eight and nine, this is this is going to be the foreshadowed events from the start of the book to where they start at Hogwarts. What I'm about to do right now, yeah. then I'll turn it over to you to do the, the same, and then right. we'll take it from there. But so the foreshadowed events from start of the book to the arrival at Hogwarts, in page eight and nine. That photo from when the Weasleys won the grand prize galleon draw, that photo is super important because you obviously you see later on, then we'll not talk about this next week, we'll talk about it the week after, what somebody notices in that photo. Um, page 10, the sneakoscope going off with the Weasleys over there in Egypt. Ron thought it was because Fred and George put beetles in Bill's soup. That's not why it was going off. Um, page 13, the monster book of monsters. Hagrid gave that to him. That was a foreshadowed event because of, you know, his new teaching gig that he received. Um, page 14, I put the Hogsmeade permission slip because that kind of set the tone for what's about to happen at the Dursleys. Um, pages 16 to 17, Sirius Black being on the Muggle News, right? So, like, now Uncle Vernon and Petunia, they, they are on the lookout for this guy too, which is funny especially when you consider the very like last page of this book, which I won't talk about until two weeks from now. Uh, page 33, Harry sees the outline of something big with wide gleaming eyes. That's the first time he catches a glimpse of that big dog, which you know we learn a little bit more about later on. Uh, page 33, we meet Stan Shunpike for the first time. He comes up actually in Deathly Hallows 2, um, which is important. I won't talk about too much about that now. And he, he talks to, uh, Harry talks to Stan and says, you know, I saw a big black thing like a dog, but massive. So that was, uh, that's another kind of leading up to what this whole dog situation is, right? Then page 37, this is when Stan's reading the Daily Prophet and the show Sirius Black. So we see Sirius Black on the Daily Prophet and we learn about how he murdered 13 people with a single curse. Uh, that's going to be a foreshadow because when that comes around we realize what the truth was that happened there that day that we won't talk about. Um, page 45, the minister doesn't punish Harry for his blatant and reckless use of underage magic, which sets a bad precedent for when they tried to come after him and order the Phoenix. And I'm not going to say what happens there, but it's definitely worth noting. Um, page 46, this, this is almost like a, a premonition of bad events to come of Cornelius Fudge tells Harry the Azkaban guards have never failed yet, 
Well, not only did they fail this time, they're also going to fail very, very soon with a bunch of people that I won't talk about. Now, page 51, we see the fireball for the first time. That's going to be a foreshadow because that comes up later on in the book. Uh, Death Omens, we see the black dog as large as a bear. That's the book that he sees. So now Harry starts to think that that dog he's seeing looks very familiar to the Death Omens book that he saw in Flourish and Blots. Uh, and, you know, that's when the person's saying, oh, you're going to start seeing Death Omens everywhere. So he still doesn't really know what the black dog is, but he knows it's not a good sign now. Now, page 57, we see all the books for all the classes Hermione's taking this year and how her bag's like bulging out in the Leaky Cauldron. And so that's a foreshadow of all the like subjects she's going to take, which is huge because how is she going to do all of that, right? Um, page 57, Scabbers is looking thinner than usual. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> Uh, page 59 Scabbers front paw toe is missing and that's one of the biggest foreshadows probably of this entire book that's where it was first mentioned there page 61 uh, Mr. Weasley tells like Ron and that, this is why it's kind of funny because of how it actually all turns out he says Ron Black is not going to be caught by a 13 year old wizard well, come to find out. <laughs> come to find out, actually, right. Mr. Weasley. Yeah, exactly. So, then pages 65 to 66. This is where we get that first big conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Weasley where they start talking about Harry and, like, you know, this this actually might be something worth me actually reading. I'll go through it fast because I'm almost, I only got a couple more of these before I turn it over to you to bust through yeah, these. No so, let's take a look here. Perfect. So, uh, he, he starts hearing, he says, Makes no sense to tell him, Mr. Weasley was saying heatedly. Harry's got a right to know. I've tried to tell Fudge, but he insists on treating Harry like a child. He's 13 years old, and Mrs. We Mrs. Weasley cuts him off. Arthur, the truth would terrify him. Do you really want to send Harry back to school with that hanging over him? For heaven's sake, he's happy not knowing. And Mr. Weasley replies, I don't want to make him miserable. I want to put him on his guard. You know what Harry and Ron are like wandering off by themselves. They've ended up in the Forbidden Forest twice already. But Harry mustn't do that this year. When I think what could have happened to him that night he ran away from home, if the night bus hadn't picked him up, I'm prepared to bet he would have been dead before the Ministry found him. Mrs. Weasley then says, But he's not dead. He's fine. So what's the point? And Arthur cuts her off. Molly, they say Sirius Black is mad. And maybe he is. But he was clever enough to escape from Azkaban. And that's supposed to be impossible. It's been three weeks, and no one seed hide nor hair of him, and I don't care what Fudge keeps telling the Daily Prophet, we are no nearer to catching Black than inventing self-spelling wands. The one thing we know for sure is what Black is after. And Molly says, but Harry will be perfectly safe at Hogwarts. And Arthur replies, we thought Azkaban was perfectly safe, but if Black can break out of Azkaban, he can break into Hogwarts. That's a foreshadow. <laughs> but no one's, and Molly says, but no one's really sure that Black's after Harry. And then there was a thud on wood, and Harry was sure that Mr. Weasley had banged his fist on the table. Molly, how many times do I have to tell you? They didn't report this in the press because Fudge wanted it kept quiet, but Fudge went out to ask a man the night Black escaped. The guards told Fudge that Black's been talking in his sleep for a while now, always the same words. He's at Hogwarts. He's at Hogwarts. Black is deranged, Molly, and he wants Harry dead. If you ask me, he thinks murdering Harry will bring you-knew-who back to power. Black lost everything the night Harry stopped you-know-who and he has had 12 years alone in Azkaban to brood on that. And Molly says, well, Arthur, you must do what you think is right, but you're forgetting Albus Dumbledore. 
I don't think anything could happen to Harry at Hogwarts while Dumbledore is headmaster. And I suppose he knows about all of this. Narthus says, of course he knows. We had to ask him if he minds the Azkaban guards stationing themselves around the entrances. He wasn't very happy about it, but he agreed. Not happy? Why shouldn't he be happy if they're to catch Black? And, and Arthur says, Dumbledore isn't fond of the Azkaban guards, Mr. Wizzy said heavily. Nor am I if it comes to that. But when you're, when you're dealing with a wizard like Black, sometimes you have to join forces with those you'd rather avoid. And Molly says, well, if they save Harry... And Arthur replies, then I'll never say another word against them. And that's when they kind of end that conversation. But so now we get to know a couple things. Now we know Sirius Black is supposedly after Harry at this point in time of us reading it in this moment. He wants to kill Harry. He's a big supporter of you know who. He thinks killing Harry is going to bring you know who back to power. So right now we got this new introduced supervillain, basically. The first person ever to break out of Azkaban on the loose looking to kill Harry is what we know as of that point in the book. So big foreshadowed event there. Now, page 73, Mr. Weasley wants Harry to give him his word that he won't go looking for Sirius Black. So that's kind of tips you off because like, wait, why would I go looking for someone who wants me dead? That's something that comes up later on. Page 74, Professor R.J. Lupin asleep next to the window. That's just a basic uh, foreshadow for the fact that he's going to be the new teacher. Um, page 75, everybody's perplexed as to how Black escaped Azkaban. That's what everyone's saying on the bus. Like that's what the words were. Like, everyone's no one knows how he did it. Well, we learn how he did it later on. So there's a big foreshadow there. Um, page seventy six. The sneakoscope goes off on the train. It's in Harry's trunk, and that's another big show because there's something that Ron has on him. Again, and uh, yeah. So I won't go too much further into that. Page seventy eight. They said we can ask Fred and George. They know every. Past secret passage out of the castle when they start talking about going to Hogsmeade. So that's going to be a big foreshadow for a certain map that Fred and George decide to give Harry later on in the book. Page 83 and 84, Dementors cause Harry to pass out. That's a big foreshadow for the entire the entire series, really, honestly, because Dementors always affect Harry differently than they affect other people. This is the first time you see it happen on the Hogwarts Express. It's something that's a reoccurring event and something he has to overcome. So big foreshadow there. And page 85, the quote says, So Lupin muttered something and a silvery thing shot out of his wand and it turned and sort of glided away, talking about the Dementor. So that's where we first kind of see the charm that's used to repel Dementors, but we don't know what it is or how to do it yet. But it's a big foreshadow moment. And that's the last foreshadow moment I have as they arrive at Hogwarts here. And I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I mean, mine are very close to that. Uh, just some simple ones. Uh, you know, the first thing uh, with Harry's birthday, you know, he gets sent uh, the Monster Book of Monsters from Hagrid. So that's kind of a foreshadowing that, you know, Hagrid's going to be teaching, um, you know, uh, care for magical creatures. So that's kind of a big one. Um, Harry uh, saw the black dog. Uh, large as a bear with gleaming eyes uh, in chapter four, the leaky cauldron. Um, so that's foreshadowing of what's to come with uh, Sirius Black kind of thing. Well, not giving anything away, um, but we'll find out later. Um, and then uh, Ron uh, in chapter four as well, the leaky cauldron, when he took Scabbers to the witch, the witch in the uh, magical, how do you say menagerie? it? Menagerie. Menagerie. Yeah, menagerie. Yeah. Menagerie. 
Menagerie. It's like menage a trois. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, slay. <laughs> um, but the witch tells uh, Ron, she goes, the witch of the magical uh, menagerie examines Scabbers and says, what powers does he have? He goes, uh, the, the truth was Scabbers had never shown any faintest trace of interest in powers. The witch's eyes moved from Scabbers' tattered left ear to the front of his paw, which had a toe missing and uh tutted loudly he's been through the mill this one she said he was like that when percy gave him to me uh said ron defensively an ordinary common or garden rat like this can't be expected to live longer than three years or so said the witch so that's a big like foreshadowing moment of scabber's future there um jenny when she saw harry at the leaky cauldron was embarrassed again uh not too much leading into this, but, you know, definitely can foreshadow what their future is. Um, chapter six, uh, talons and tea leaves, uh, tea lions, tea lions. Um, you know, that was a big one because, you know, they said someone will be leaving us forever. Well, now, Easter. wait, hold on a second. You're not, you're at Hogwarts now. We're supposed to do up to they arrive at Hogwarts. Talons and tea leaves is in Hogwarts. Oh, up to. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought we were doing one through nine. That's why I was wondering why you didn't mention it. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back to you. No, yeah. So yeah, then I'll just go through the ones that I have because I, yeah, I don't have very many. Um, now this is going to go yeah, from arrival at Hogwarts yeah. through chapter nine is these ones then. Um, when Professor McGonagall says, very well, kindly wait outside while I have a quick word about Miss Granger with her course schedule, then we can go down to the feast together. That kind of talks about, like, it gives us a foreshadow of Hermione's little secret, right? Um, page 93, Snape's expression towards Lupin was beyond anger. It was loathing. We learn why he specifically dislikes Lupin so much. Uh, page 98, we get a look at Hermione's schedule, or Ron does, takes her schedule and sees, like, there's three classes she's scheduled for all at the same time at 9 a.m. Um, yeah. Page 107, we hear about the Grimm for the first time, which is described as a giant spectral dog that haunts churchyards, and it's an omen of death. That's what the Grimm is. And page 108, Professor McGonagall teaches a distracted class, because remember they were distracted about uh, Harry's like tea leaves and all he was going to die. While she was doing something very important, she was teaching them about how she's an animagi which is big, big freaking foreshadow that I'll just keep there. Uh, Page 115, Buckbeak, we meet him, and he goes on to play a big role, not just through this book, uh, but throughout the series. Uh, Page 114, Hagrid tells his class not to insult hippogriffs because it might be the last thing they do. And then obviously we see in two pages that come full circle when Malfoy insults Buckbeak. (laughs) And so... uh, Page 129, they notice for the first time that Hermione disappears after class. They, this is the first time they notice, like, hey, where the heck did she go? That was page 129. Page 130, Ron says the words, do you get the feeling Hermione's not telling us something? And that's a big foreshadowed question. Uh, page 138, uh, the boggart that when it faces Lupin turns into a silvery white orb. That's really huge for Lupin later on. Page 146 through 147, Crookshanks attacks Scabbers. And and Ron, at this point in time, because of all the other times that Crookshanks has attacked him, he is starting to have a feeling like, listen, this cat has it in for Scabbers. There, there's something about 
this scabbers yeah. that this cat doesn't like. And even Harry is like, yeah, like there's plenty of other rats that you can be going after. Like, why you keep yeah. doing this, man? And that's really huge foreshadow too. Page 153. I mentioned this previously, so I'll touch on it again. The Grindylo and Lupin's office comes up again in Deathly Hallows. Won't say anything more. Mm-hmm. Page 156. Uh, Snape brings in a specific potion for Professor Lupin to drink. Uh, we learn a little bit about what that potion is later. Uh, page 164. We learn that you cannot apparate on Hogwarts grounds and that there are enchantments to protect the castle. I think that's super important because that is something that was that comes up not only I'm I'm pretty sure it comes up in every other book four five six and seven after this that you can't apparate Mm -hmm. uh, or come in magically so that's why certain things events transpire as they did you know in the future Uh, page one sixty six Snape said Snape even tells Dumbledore because what you were talking about when you mentioned that you know Snape believes that Sirius Black should would have had help getting into the castle on Halloween. Well, there's a reason why he says that because there's someone who was very close with Sirius Black way back in the day that's, that Snape knows about, too. And he tried to mm-hmm. basically warn Dumbledore, hey, there's someone here that probably would help Sirius Black get into the castle. And Dumbledore's like, hey, I trust all the, all the teachers, and that left no room for like argument. So I thought that was important. Yeah. Uh, page 170, Snape takes over defense against the Dark Arcs because Lupin is quote-unquote sick. And he makes them learn about werewolves, which is, you know, we know what that is. Page 174, uh, Crookshanks ke- keeps trying to sneak by Harry to get into the room to get the scabbers. And he's got to keep removing him. Then page 178, Harry sees a silhouette of an enormous shaggy black dog in the topmost empty row of seats at the Quidditch thing. So it wasn't in the clouds that he saw it. It was on the topmost yeah, edge of the okay, seats yeah. that he saw at Quidditch there. Um, and then... Mm-hmm. Page 183, last foreshadow I have uh, to close up this episode before I pass it over to you, is Harry no longer has a broomstick, and that's going to come up pretty big later on. And so now I'll let you do your foreshadows from Hogwarts to the uh, end of Chapter 9. Yeah, and I was just going to back up your point, because this even says here, Harry saw something that distracted him completely, the silhouette of an enormous shaggy black dog clearly imprinted in the sky, motionless in the topmost empty row of seats. It was the film. That's where I was mixing it up for a minute because I was just going off my head. But the film, like, he saw it in the clouds. Gotcha. So that's where they could have fixed it in the film. But, yeah, it definitely was in the top row of seats. Um, Most of mine were pretty much uh, the same, very close. Uh, Just a few other ones. Um, Just like how we were saying, like, talons and tea leaves. You know, Harry got... um, yeah, well, I mean, they said the one about the person leaving forever in the class around Easter. Um, then, you know, Harry, I did put down, uh, he got the Grim, the Club, the Falcon. Uh, also, he got the other one, so the Skull. So he got the Falcon, which predicted Harry has an enemy. The Club predicts an attack. The Skull, uh, danger is in Harry's path in the Grim. Uh, the giant dog predicting Harry's death. So very interesting foreshadows for if we're talking about something much later on. So um, uh, I did put Malfoy, the small one I talked about earlier, mentions Lupin's tattered clothes, tattered clothes, just foreshadowing on that. Uh, I did like how you mentioned Crookshanks and Scabbers as a big one. Um, you already mentioned the goblets um, as well. Uh, and Snape teaching defense against the dark arts with wolves. 
Um, and yeah, the only other one I had was when Ron sticks up for Hermione in uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts and said, you asked us a question and she knows the answer. Why ask it if you don't want to be told? It's not too much of a foreshadowing, but could foreshadow future going on there because you are kind of starting to see in these books a little bit like Ron, it's almost like they both still, like even if they don't want to admit it, like something's going on where deep down those two, because you don't see this going on with Hermione and Harry, or do you see what I mean? Like something's going on there. Um, so just a little bit of foreshadowing there. But other than that, you hit the nail on the head on all the ones I had. Perfect. Now for the plot holes or discrepancies, and keep in mind, there's a couple on here that I'm not saying for sure are. They're just things I have questions on that maybe between you and I we can figure out, or maybe it's something that we've got to ask maybe other viewers to see, hey, do you guys have opinions on it? But the first thing, this one for sure is not a plot hole, and this is just going to be from the start of the book to the arrival at Hogwarts, so just these three that I have. This is not a plot hole. It's just, I would say, a poor casting option for Sirius Black. Not because he didn't portray his like demeanor well, but in terms of just physical appearance, he had elbow length hair. Elbow length is down to here, guys. This is, it, it's it, like that. Yeah. He was described twice That's in the long. book as having elbow length hair, and so that was on page seventeen. If anyone wants to go back and try to fact check that, elbow length hair is what Sirius Black was described as having. Also, page thirty-two. Remember when Harry decided he was going to leave the Dursleys? And he was like, I'm just going to, like, you know, maybe I can bewitch my trunk and all my stuff to become feather light. And I can just fly my uh, broomstick before the night bus arrives. You remember that? I'm sorry. When did Larry, when did Harry learn a spell to make stuff feather light? There was never a time. Like, when Guardian Leviosa makes things levitate, that doesn't make stuff feather light that you can strap onto your thing and go. And plus, you got to keep your wand pointed at it the entire time. So, like, what's, when did Harry learn this magical spell that makes things feather light? Because it hasn't come up in the books at all to that point. That's one that I have. And then, this is one that I do have a big issue with. And I want your full undivided attention to this one. Because this is something that you've talked about, too. Is, in the invisible horses that pull the stagecoaches up to the castle... Right, we know what that what they are in two books from now, the invisible horses. My issue with it is Harry should have been seeing what is actually doing it from the very beginning. The reason I say that is because if Harry is having these panic attacks, whatever they're called, like passing out when the dementors are coming to him and he, all he's doing is reliving the night his parents died in front of him. That means he's right. seen someone die in front of him at that age. And if remember what it takes for somebody to see what pulls the stagecoaches. I'm not trying to give it away, you know, when that comes up in, mm -hmm. in Order of the Phoenix. But yes. the issue is he should have been seeing these things because he saw death at a very young age. He was in the same room yeah. when that happened. So I don't know how you cannot see it here, especially... When all this book is doing is showing us he relives that moment over and over again when the Dementors come near. But for some reason, that doesn't qualify as seeing death to where you can see these beings. Does like, Do you see what I'm saying? 100%. Because there's... Well, the only argument I have for that is maybe it takes a very special type of person like 
But however, his parents were murdered in the most like heinous ways. In so front be... of his face, he saw it. <laughs> he literally saw it. Because there's a person I'm thinking of. She hasn't come up yet and won't come up for a while, but she has that ability. And um, yeah, it def- I definitely maybe it's like you gotta have a special power that was never explained but definitely an interesting question to bring up there on why Um, because here's the thing what they want to make us believe answer yeah like and and the thing that they want to make us believe because and this is going to be tough for me to navigate around saying this because this is something that's a big big moment for next book but harry witnesses something in the next book at the very end of the book which now causes him to be able to see these invisible horses, right? So, right. because something happens in front of his face, and I don't want to... It's tough. My point is is that he should have been able to see these things from day one because he witnessed death in front of his face like when he was one years old. And yeah. I might have been able to swallow it better if she didn't build this whole story up over the fact that Harry relives that moment over and over again every time Dementors come near him. So, like, you're basically telling us, yes, you, we are led to believe that Harry was in that very room, and you can hear his mom screaming for her life, trying to save him, and he laughs and kills her anyways. So you're telling us, like, he has the necessary ingredients to be able to see these horses already, but then you're telling us, like, no, he doesn't see them. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Like, now another person, now something else bad has to happen that he sees, and then in book five he can see them. I don't like that. Yeah. I really don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> But those agree a hundred percent. I definitely agree hundred percent on that one. Those are just my three ones I have from start of book to arrival at Hogwarts. What do you got? Uh, the only one I had was actually one you mentioned um, from the arrival at Hogwarts. It was in the film. Remember, he's like using magic like to light up his homework. Like the minute the film starts. And I'm sitting there thinking, just like you said, like why was no letter or anything sent on that? But yet the big moment was when he uses magic, like 20 minutes, well, the next day when Large Marge comes to town. But yeah, he's like lighting up his homework all summer and no one says anything. And he's like, Lumos. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we just, uh, you know, you got a hall pass on that one, Harry. <laughs> so and That's that's yeah, just the film, though. That doesn't, let's clarify that that's just a film that doesn't happen in the book. Like, just yeah. the film. Yeah, just the film. That was the only other one one i had until hogwarts and then i only have one from the arrival of hogwarts to chapter nine and it just is it's something small but like remember when professor trelawney tells neville hey once you break your pink cup grab a grab a blue one because i i'm really partial to these pink ones like girl you are a witch repair the cup like like hermione can repair harry's glasses like i like like (laughs) mr weasley is the one that did it in the books the last book i'm sorry i forgot like the movie makes her do things that she doesn't really do but like, you are a fully-fledged teaching witch. Repair the cup magically. Why does it matter? Like, it says she sweeped it up into the dustpan. Like, why? You can repair it. You're a witch. <laughs> like, that just upset me. Oh, yeah. So that's the only one I have there for the arrival of Hogwarts through Chapter 9. I'll give you the floor to tackle your plot hole from then. Yeah, obviously she wasn't a good witch because they've been repairing cups since uh, year one. <laughs> We've seen that in the book and the film. Um, but the only one I had was I brought this up to you, like, especially in the Quidditch match, like Harry's glasses, how do they stay on? 
And these, like, these winds are so bad, and they just magically stay on his face. They can repel water, but glasses are staying on his face, even though you have, like, they never say a mile an hour, but basically they imply, like, 20-mile-an-hour winds. And, like, glasses are just staying on your face as you're flying up to, like, 100 miles an hour on a broomstick. Yeah. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. I like it. <laughs> it it's thing. something that I hadn't even thought about. Like, especially because, like, when you're in Quidditch and you're changing directions to try to find the snit, like, like literally, the wind's going to blow, like, to your glasses one way or the other. If you're going when the wind's facing you, sure, it can stay on because of the pressure. But, like, when you turn around the wind's blowing the opposite way, it's going to take them things off. So, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Or if you're going upside down, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just throwing that out there. It's just, that's a good one. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is that the only one that you had for like the the start of Hogwarts through chapter nine? Yeah, man, that's all I Perfect. had. I didn't really find a whole lot of plot holes. And then that's all the ones I had up to the end of this episode. And then I guess what we'll do is we'll close off with some of our interesting facts. See, I didn't go into detail yeah. in mine, so I'll rip through mine real quick and I'll let you have the floor for your interesting facts. Okay. But yeah, no problem. one thing I wanted to point out, I thought it was cool. This is again just in, an interesting fact. Uh, when Aunt Marge goes away, she has someone named Colonel Fubster who watches over her dogs. Someone who never really comes up again, awesome. but it's just kind of interesting. He sneaks it in there. Uh, the the bus driver of the night bus, his full name is actually Ernie Prang. That his, he got his last name in there, which I'm not sure. You know, it's easy to miss if you don't pay attention to it. Uh, Harry stayed in room 11 in the Leaky Cauldron. That's just one I decided to put out there. Thought that was kind of interesting. Page 50, this one's kind of cool. Florian Fortescue, the guy who does like the ice cream parlor, he actually knew a lot about medieval witch burnings himself out of nowhere. Like He just happened to know, have a lot of That's like awesome. knowledge there. It was interesting. Uh, page 53, remember when they go into Flourish and... Well, just Harry goes into Flourish and Bots and he wants to get his school books. The person's relieved that he didn't need the Monster Book of Monsters, but they, he starts complaining about another book they sold in the past, the Invisible, the Invisible Book of Invisibility. So I thought, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that is awesome. That, that was pretty that cool. Was really awesome. A little interesting fact <laughs> there. Then uh, Ron, he shows off his new wand. Ron's new wand is 14 inches, made of willow and a unicorn tail. Just want to put that there. Yeah. And then page That's 86. Awesome. Interesting fact is that chocolate helps rid the after effects of Dementor encounters. You know, I thought yeah, that's that dope, cool. and that's really all I have from the start of book to arrival at Hogwarts. And I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, man. And uh, it's funny because mine yeah, it actually worked out perfect because like next episode, mine's a lot like yours, like really quick. Um, but I fit some cool ones in here because there were some cool things I did research, but I'll be able to look through them quick. Uh, Wendell and the Weird, <laughs> you know, we're both big Wendell and fans, which is really cool. Um, you know, it does say uh, she actually um, was, it does say this in the book. So 47 times um, she was burned at the stake, but casted that freezing charm so it wouldn't work. Well, I didn't know this. She actually changed her disguise every single time. And the reason it was 47 times was they were trying to guess whether or not it was actually her burning a witch at the stake, which it was, but she just kept coming back because they couldn't figure out the freezing charm. Uh, so that was really cool. Actually, in 1992 to 1993, so mid-year, so really 92, um, a portrait actually was hung of her in a secret hallway at Hogwarts. Oh, nice. Which actually goes into some of uh, the things we'll talk about next episode <laughs> with that sort of thing. Um, Harry actually um, was able to get a chocolate frog card of her at one point, 
but did exchange it for a baby spider after he graduated. So that's very interesting. I don't know if that was like something Hagrid had and he changed it, like how Hagrid was doing deals in the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, and actually, uh, let's see, the freezing charm, of course, is known to alter the effects of burning and creates that tickling sensation, but it does say no freezing charm has ever worked on dead flesh. So if you've ever they have had people that were burned that i guess had like amputated parts that i don't know if they were prosthetics or i guess dead skin it does burn the skin right off so i thought it was interesting uh shrinking solution i thought this was cool um so uh of course causes the drinker to turn into a smaller form it is bright green when brewed correctly uh the practical use it was originally made because people would shrink livestock of pigs on farms, put them in their pocket to transport them to other ranches and to sell off the pigs. So that was interesting. Um, Samuel Plunkett was the wizard that originally uh, made it famous, and he used it to shrink an entire muggle village, which made him <laughs> infamous, because I guess they were, um, they thought, like how the Dursleys said, or uh, abnormalities, and he got mad and shrunk the village and then, like, disposed of the village, so wound up in Azkaban. But, uh, interesting enough. Um, and then in 1500s, it got even more famous and was actually put in the potions book that Snape uses. Uh, Zygmunt Budge uh, developed the exact shrinking potion of it, Um and uh, the way he developed the potion was it had to be stirred properly and he added shrivel figs to it and it proved so powerful um, that it actually was used. He tested it on what was called the Tiritus brothers, which those brothers were actually what they call curse breakers that Gringotts uses. Um, Tetris brothers are actually an employment uh so a staffing department by gringotts used to break curses on vaults so the ministry also has it but if someone hexed a vault so that it's used to just you know replenish money how we were talking about that before like you could just make yourself super rich um so curse breakers are actually used to break those curses so i guess like money i not that i guess it's allowed to do that but they won't allow it to happen and that's why curse breakers are employed but that's how that potion became famous the ingredients for it are uh two shrivel figs um and ruby blood stir it slowly uh gently heat the potion um chop four daisy roots finely uh very finely chopped and add them to the cauldron Five hairy caterpillars. So there's your Malfoy with the caterpillars. He cut the roots, um, man. He cut the roots. The daisy roots is what Ron cut for Malfoy. Oh, daisy <laughs> roots. Yeah. So chop four daisy roots and add them to the cold. Yeah. So yeah. Sorry, my bad. You were you were right on that one. And then add uh, five hairy caterpillars. Um, well shaken wormwood. Uh, Stir vigorously. Juice four leeches. And then stir slowly with caution, shake rat spleen inside it, and then add a splash of cow tone, uh, which cow tone is actually, it's called uh, Circa Verosa's 
which is a poisonous plant, which is why if it's not stirred properly, they say it could be poisonous because of that ingredient right there. Uh, and then doxycides are also in it, which is a potion that's also used to stun pets, ironically, <laughs> which is almost like rat poison, ironically, thinking of a scabbard. So if you listen to the podcast or the YouTube, you can pause that, uh, try to come up with those ingredients, see if you can bruise that yourself except for it'd probably be illegal nowadays with rat poison so um and then the last one is heat the mixture until it turns green so that was interesting uh told you about the curse breakers just a few other things egyptian wizards because you know i told you um arthur won that prize to go to egypt um this was really cool uh they're actually known for the most curse breakers uh supplied from gringotts and they go to the u uh, Yugadal School of Magic that accepts students from all over Africa, which is actually in western mountains there. Um, and most notable is Bajada Akabad, who actually succeeded Albus Dumbledore as Supreme Mugwump, which, you know, we'll talk about much later on, um, Dumbledore and stuff that happens. Uh, but they're actually home to the potions champion so i didn't know this there actually is a potions tournament international tournament like the triwizard tournament that happens every year which is really cool and they're most known for that um it's happened every seven years since 1407 winners include there's been one from hogwarts name hasn't been mentioned because under 18 because most of these are actually students trying to get their names out which is cool um there is a russian student called called up a Torres or something, uh, K-O-L-D-O-V-S-T-O-R-E-T-Z. You can find them on Pottermore.com from a Russian school. A Japanese student from Magatori School of Magic, which is very famous. Uh, and then an African student which um, from that school as well, uh, from the African school, which she was under 18. Uh, the Magatori Wizarding School is located on the topmost volcanic point in Japan. Um, it has only 11 wizarding students, and they're known as the top of the top. It is one of the oldest wizarding schools ever created, and actually they're Quidditch champions. In 2016, they won the National Quidditch World Cup, and Quidditch got discovered there when Hogwarts students uh, were actually taking a, uh, they called it a circumference race, which was a race around the world. They got blown off course and uh, had to land there and taught them how to play Quidditch. So that was interesting. Um, famous magical creatures in Egypt are the Sphinx is from there, but also the Phoenix actually is from there. Rumpet, which is like a rhinoceros. Um, a Whomper, which is like a pink magical bird. And a Nundo, which is a lion that's like spiked like a porcupine, which is porcupine, which is venomous. Uh, the 11 wizarding schools are Boxy Botton's Academy of Magic, which is located in France. Unknown when they were established. Did you say Boxy Bottons? Are you talking about Bow Battens? Bow Battens. I call it Boxy Battens. <laughs> Bow Battens, yes, which we'll talk about in the next book. Exactly. Uh, yeah, see, you know you're the man with names. I can never pronounce names. But I did think this was cool. They've been established since uh, before 1290, so it's actually unknown. So one of the earliest ones. Noteworthy, though, is uh, Floor Decor, we'll talk about later, married Bill Weasley, and uh, Nicholas Flamel is from there, which oh, is wow. really cool. Um, Costi Barro or something? You probably could pronounce it better, but basically it's in Brazil except students from South America. 
created in the 10th and 11th century, um, known for the Brazilian Ministry of Magic. The school was actually bewitched to appear in the ruins of Muggles, um, so they won't actually uh, recognize it. Um, it actually is home to Kapora that guard it, which is small spirit beings. They're like green, kind of almost like pixies. Um, Patricia Rakepick um, was a teacher at Hogwarts at one point. She transferred from there as an exchange student. Only one really known from there. Uh, Dermstrog Institute in Scandinavia has been around since 1290 and before. Uh, does accept international students, but most are European. Um, located in near Bulgaria, northern continent of Europe, they're known for their dark arts curriculum. Most notable students are, you know, we'll talk about him later, but Victor Crumb and the biggest one, Gellert Grindelwald. Hogwarts, we know about Hogwarts. Elvermoni, I told you about that. That's that American school that was established in the 17th century. They were kind of like Native Americans, and she married um, her husband that was kind of like a pilgrim. He's the only Muggle headmaster. Found in 1627, um, 637 years before Hogwarts. Did think this was cool. Um, Isolde that founded the school, I told you, she actually buried her wand there before she died. And it was made uh, with the core of a snake plant. Uh, and it actually grew into a snakewood tree that they say you can still see there today, which that is actually located in, um, uh, it's the town Greylock is the town, but it's in Massachusetts. Um, school has been known for wand talent, because remember his old made their own wands, of course. Um, and actually, they produced the most people in the French Ministry of Magic, ironically. Um, Cold of Art Strez, that's what I was trying to say before. That's that Russian school um, known for producing wizards at the International Confederation of Wizards. Very interesting. Um, is what they're most known for, according to Pottermore. Um, really unknown, though. Um, uh, of course, we know what the Monster Book of Monsters is. Alizor Westcottis is a kind of monkey, like magical creature. Coco Rumsey Catcher, um, that's like kind of a cornice pixie, but more attracted to flowers. Dalazor Freezer is like a, a house elf, but with more bulging eyes and pointed ears. These are just ones major monsters in the monster book of monsters um greenwork goth has like big long horns on its head and back wings kind of looks like a demon um limax is on there has a hammer shaped head with four arms and a serpent body actually this was cool because it's capable of wielding multiple weapons often wields maces axes and daggers uh looks like an amphibian slug and can breathe underwater uh, manticore that you saw uh, found often in Greece, highly dangerous, has the head of a man, body of a lion, and tail of a scorpion. Um, as dangerous as the chimera, but are more rare um, and known for repelling charms. Um, Marat Lindy, uh, related to the mandrake. Nazzle Mump resembled a Cornish pixie, but with more, uh, but less wingless, doesn't have as many wings. Um, shelfless Drophiculus is like roughly the size of a quill, actually can write and it's camouflaged like a quill with a round belly. Sphinx, uh, you know, those are known in Egypt, has a lion body with the human face. They're actually very intelligent. Most are used to guard things, almost like the Sorcerer's Stone, because they use riddles to communicate, but they can speak English. 
Troll of Nandrav is a mountain troll with huge clawed hands. Valcor, a giant-sized troll, eight times the size of a normal human. Uh, cool Wizard Prisons, this is the last thing I have on there. There was an abandoned nuclear plant that was used to actually house Death Ears. Um, the Inferi uh, actually surrounded it with Dementors. The Inferi, uh, talk about later on, uh, but those are like corpses, dead bodies that are bewitched uh, to hunt dark wizards, um, which is wild. Uh, there's an abandoned substation that was built in 1997, uh, used to actually house Muggleborns. Um, that were snatched by the Ministry of Magic. So some of these aren't really good prisons. Of course, we know Azkaban, the Dark Tower. Um, it's in Hogwarts Castle, and the Transfiguration Courtyard hasn't been used in a long time, but it has the four gargoyles that guard it. It's all the way at the top of the North Tower. It was used as a dungeon uh, back in the day when the school was first built. Uh, there is a New York Witches Penitentiary, which is only used for witches prison. Um, it was founded in 1926 um, for the most murderous witches. Actually, three famous ones are Eleanor Shanks, Matilda Hasenbert, and also um, Mirafum. Uh, these three were kind of like Bonnie and Clyde without Clyde. Uh, they actually all three escaped at one time and never were found since. Normengard is a famous prison in Aust Austria, um, famous for... Uh, actually, Gellert Grindelwald was a prisoner here. Uh, the Ruins is located in the Forest of Dean in England. Um, it's in the old, it's in an old uh, ruins of a building. It's known for imprisoning Death Eaters and was used in 1997-1998 um, during Big Battle Hogwarts, actually. Sing Sing, uh, located in New York, USA. Maximum security prison, most known. Actually, this is where they thought um, Newt Sumander was going to go because one of his creatures uh, got loose and he had to break into um, a building and almost was put trial. Um, small British prisons. Um, and then, of course, I, Gold Gobstones, I told you, is played just basically like marbles. Um, how is a Dementor born? Dementors are actually born um, when there is so much pain and suffering in the air that it can materialize itself. It is said that Dementors were created mostly during the First and Second Wizarding War uh, during the attacks in Europe when Grindelwald uh, was at bay, uh, which is why they can be destroyed with a Patronus charm. Uh, Fortuna Major was a password. That means greater fortune. Uh, Sir Cardigan, this is cool. This is my last thing here. Uh, I don't know if he's alive or dead, but he was born in the Middle Ages. He was a wizard sworn to the Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur. Uh, most famous for his defeat of the Wyvern of Wye, which there is actually, that's like this dragon type creature, the way he killed him, was he shoved a sword through his uh, throat and forced him to shoot fire out and the dragon exploded. There's actually a portrait of this in um, the Gryffindor Tower. It is thought he was actually taught by Godric Gryffindor himself. Um, and his wand is believed to be Blackthorn uh, with a troll whisker, whisker core. Um, and it is said that he actually struck a friendship with Merlin, uh, which is how he, um, you know, basically arrived at Hogwarts later on, but he's been around for a really long time. There is a portrait of him in the Divination Tower 
And um, Cadigan actually means glory in battle. Um, last few things for Kappas. Um, you know, I told you they're the murderous goblins. Uh, Kappas, the water, a Japanese water demon, feeds on human blood, kind of like a gargoyle. You know what grindy lows are. Werewolves, also known as lycanthropes. Um, of course, it is a human being upon complete rising of the full moon becomes uncontrollable, fearsome, deadly wolf caused by an infection of lycanthropy. A mixture of powdered silver applied to the fresh wound will seal the wound if attacked by a werewolf, but it will not hear you. So if you get attacked by a werewolf, you're screwed. Like, you're getting it. Um, there is actually tragic tales of people that have gotten bit by werewolves that beg to be put to death. Um, and of course the potion we'll talk about, uh, it has not ever been known to cure it, but it does <clears throat> subside the effects. Um, it does say lycanthropy is a magical illness known to spread by saliva when bitten. Um, it actually can be transfused through the blood when bitten, um, by the werewolves themselves. Usually a muggle when bitten will die, but there have been cases when they're survived. In a rare case, if two werewolves actually mate under a full moon, it actually produces just wolf cubs. That's only happened twice in history. Um, the homorphous charm can actually force a werewolf back into human form, um, but it only subsides it for the time being until the next full moon. Actually, Gilderoy Lockhart did that. Um, and then Hinky Punks, the last thing... Uh, you know, they're actually one-legged magical creatures with an appearance that looks like wispy green or, or blue or green, white smoke, kind of like a, a candle light, but actually is like a creature, apparently. So just very interesting stuff, and that's all my interesting facts. I know those were kind of long, but just couldn't stop writing. <laughs> I stuff. just find it funny. Yeah. Like, and, and anyone that knows Chase personally will, like, get, like, will get, like, the joke I'm trying to make here, but, like, Chase will say last thing six times before it's actually the last thing. He does the same thing with like time. So it's like, oh, dude, like five minutes and it's like 40 minutes before whatever that five minutes was going to be. So like, that's just that's just Chase. Man. That's just what he does. Um, I do have three other ones. I'm just going to tackle from the arrival of Hogwarts through chapter nine. But again, I just bullet mine down. Uh, page 90, yeah. Professor Flitwick actually officiated the sorting this year because McGonagall was with Harry and Hermione. Remember, they missed the sorting hat ceremony. Professor Flitwick, mm -hmm. Flitwick was the one who officiated it this uh, year in Hogwarts. Page 92, we learned that Dementors cannot be fooled by tricks, disguises, or invisibility cloaks. And page 113, to open the Monster's Book of Monsters, you have to stroke the spine. And then on page 171, we hear when Snape talks about opening the page. It's actually page 394 where the chapter on werewolves starts when he wants him to talk about that in class, even though... You know, we know what he's trying to do, but uh, yeah, it's page 394. I know that we mentioned that earlier, but I just thought it was interesting to notate. But those are my interesting facts throughout this uh, entire episode. And so awesome, what we did today, just to kind of break it down. So because I know kind of we, when we jumped in, it kind of can get confusing. So what we did today here is we tackled all of our favorite and impact moments from the start of the book through chapter nine. And then, which was the name of chapter nine is Grim Defeat. 
And then we did the same thing for the foreshadowed events, the possible plot holes, discrepancies, and the interesting facts as well. We just split it up for him and I to talk where we would go from the beginning of the book to start of Hogwarts and from start of Hogwarts through that chapter. And we did that all the way through. So really all that we covered today was just, you know, the beginning of book through chapter nine in its entirety. We just split it up so they'd be kind of like even talk track, if that makes sense. But yeah, awesome. Cool, man. I mean, look, listen, this is this is one of these books where, like I said, it sets the tone for where the series is going to go from here. You know, where we leave off, we still don't know the truth about a lot of stuff. We come to find that out. We talk about our foreshadowed events. But as of right now, where we stand today, Sirius Black is still this crazy, deranged murderer who somehow broke out of Azkaban that nobody knows how. And he broke into Hogwarts too, cut down the fat lady's picture you know, Harry's without a broomstick. They lost their first Quidditch match. There's a lot going on here. So it's going to yeah. be really exciting next week to dive into the next part where we'll talk about, uh, it's going to be chapter 10, I believe it's called the Marauder's Map through uh, chapter 15, which is called the Quidditch Final, Quidditch Cup Final. And that's what we'll tackle uh, next week. But do you think we should close them out here today? Yeah, man, uh, that's that's awesome. And that's the thing. This book is really where a lot of the Harry Potter audience really picked up and the detail comes in so i know it's hard to kind of cram everything in there but um no we're, we're looking forward to keeping this hogwarts express rolling man and once again you know just thanks again to all you guys uh for always sticking with us and you know um all the support you always give us and we're looking forward to keeping it rolling you want to sign us off here you got it my man so so far today this has been a tackling of the beginning of the book through chapter nine grim defeat uh, Chase and Josh here, super excited to go on into this next journey. Like Chase says, I love it, keeping the Hogwarts Express rolling. So for today, this is like we always tell you, it's been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. Signing off.